0: Thank you for coming by my uh, new episode of Merged Worlds, my Dungeons & Dragons story stream podcast, uh, which is a whole lot of words to say. I sit here and tell you a story. Uh, So I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to do so. And thank you, AGD David, for the sub. Um, If you are watching or listening to this on at a later date or time, uh, maybe on iTunes or Spotify as an audio podcast. Thank you as well for checking this out. Uh, Hopefully you are enjoying it uh, whenever you are watching or listening to it. Um, Today, we are going to continue with our story, but first there will be a brief interlude. Uh, If you'll remember, last episode I said that we will be starting today with a little bit of an interruption in the regular tale, much as it was way back when we ran this originally. Um, many years ago, when I was running this with the young ladies who played these characters, um, I've mentioned this before, so I apologize if I'm echoing myself. Uh, I try to make holiday-themed events pop up once in a while, specifically Halloween, because it was our favorite holiday, and I've had a couple Christmas kind of themed holiday things as well. But uh, I always try to do something relatively special around Halloween if I can. Um, so I did, and it's unfortunately. The papers for that were lost. I've looked everywhere. I can't find them. They're not anywhere I can find. Uh, So I'm going to have to tell that from memory and it's going to be uh, brief because I don't have all the specifics uh, but I remember it pretty well so we're going to do a little brief thing. This takes place um, between the last adventure where everyone saved Michael and the storyline that we're in right now. Um, In this story it is just Mercy and Artemis Uh, Because Darsh was back home, and uh, Dandy and Michael had left to go to uh, New Light, which is the home of the Knights of the Light. Uh, So it was just a Mercy and Artemis adventure, which still worked fine. That was of the two young ladies that that played the characters. Uh, Each of them had a character involved with that. And they got to interact with some of their NPCs. So um, we're going to tell that story. We're going to go back in time a little bit. Uh, to do that kind of a thing, and I won't lie, this this is probably a bit cheesy, at points. Um, but I didn't care. You know, it was it was it's. Uh, this is definitely. Uh, you guys are gonna know what's happening very quickly. Uh, but uh, you'll remember in a previous Halloween themed type season episode, uh, they fought a headless horseman. Darshan Mercy did, um, and that was kind of a, the Halloween theme for that that situation. So we're gonna do another one today, and then uh, it shouldn't take. Super long, and then we'll get right back into the story. Uh, so, uh, I won't recap where we left off right now. I'll recap after the Halloween thing, before we actually get started on the the, the current storyline. Um, as always, uh, thank you for hanging out. If you have a good time, please remember to click that like button. Uh, if you're new here, be sure to subscribe. Uh, and if you're on iTunes or Spotify, make sure to give a, a follow, a like, a sub, a rating, whatever it is on the podcast. I'm still learning. <laughs> but thanks for coming by. Alright, so, uh, I'm not going to lie. I spent a big chunk of time today reading well ahead in the story to some sections that I'd forgotten about. Not forgotten about, but I'd forgotten specifics. Uh, Choked me up a little bit. I I remember writing some of this stuff. A lot of this stuff builds to a head uh, in the near future, and uh, it was the culmination of a lot of, of... years of writing and storyline to get to some of this stuff. So uh, I'm excited to get closer and closer to some incredibly big events uh, in the world of Merge Worlds. But first, let's have a little Halloween-themed adventure. So again, as I mentioned, this takes place in the eight months to a year between the last main chapter and the current chapter that we're in now with the dreams and their all individual adventures. Um, basically, we start off where everybody... everybody's just kind of living their lives. Uh, Artemis hanging out at the temple uh, with Seraph and Draven as he pops in, because uh, again, it's just still relatively early in uh, him being alive and existing. Tevin comes to the temple regularly. And Draven does well, but he doesn't really come obviously. A lot of times he'll, you know, he just comes in through a window kind of thing. Like, the dude's super sneaky, he can climb walls and all that stuff. Uh, but Tevin will come in regularly, even though he and Draven live uh, quite a distance away in the middle of the forest to the north of Serenity. Um, they like their... Well, Tevin specifically likes his, his solitude. Um, and he was... Uh, as close uh, as, a, as a healing cleric, he's one step away from a druid. Uh, he's because he's definitely uh, very much nature based. Uh, but in this adventure, um, Draven and Tevin are off at their doing a thing or whatever. So they're not involved in this story at all. Um, but Mercy and Artemis um, are basically you know, living their lives when uh, a courier arrives from the town of Willowwind. Now, Willowwind is the furthest town away from the main keep of Serenity, but it is still one of Serenity's town. I've mentioned this in the past. It was the town that was far to the northeast, mostly east, a little bit north, and it was the town that was started off as like a, a you know, trading town, hunters, skinners, things like that, who really resisted becoming part of Serenity for a long time, um, but they're, they're also a city that is incredibly religious. Um, it was through Artemis building a temple there and and such that um, Mercy was able to kind of bring them in as part of Serenity. And they've only uh, only benefited from that. Um, they were also the smallest of all the towns. Uh, but hearty, hearty people, if you will. Mercy receives a message. Uh, that in Willowend, there has been some type of issue uh, that the mayor has is reaching out, asking for her assistance with uh, as, as a local issue issue beyond uh, their current capabilities to deal with themselves. Now, in the several years that this town. Or year, so this town has been a part of Serenity uh, while they work out and trades and all that kind of stuff. They've never asked for anything, they're a very do it themselves kind of thing. Um, and most of their communication is between them and Artemis because of the temple. But the letter specifically asks that Mercy and Artemis assist them. Um, Mercy immediately was like, well, of course, I mean, that's, what they're one of our towns, if they're experiencing an issue that needs our assistance, we're going to do so, um, and Mercy, you know, kind of, in in, in, a, in a way, it's not like, yay, there's a, a thing going on, but kind of a, hey, here's a chance for me to finally step up and show these folks uh, the benefit of being a member of this this kingdom, of allying of, 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 of with us here in Serenity. Now, most of Mercy's knights, you know, they all have specific jobs and duties that very often take them outside of the the, the city proper of Serenity. Uh, most of them have a town or an area that they're kind of in charge of, or two of them will be in charge of. Um, as I've mentioned before, Seth is the one that is really building the towers and dealing with the border between Oramon uh, and Serenity. And he spends a lot of his time away from the keep specifically. Uh, Quan... Uh, really is a lot. Uh, Ulrich is seen, especially now that they're, you know, at this point they're not publicly betrothed, if you will, uh, but they are a thing. I mean, this is after the Save Michael quest, um, so he's just kind of over everything. He's like her right hand man, so he can go anywhere and does anything. But but most of the other knights, Seamus, Quan, um, Lars, oh, uh, they all have they all have towns and stuff they deal with. Willowind is the one that really doesn't have any. Anybody will go there on occasion, they all take turns visiting, but they really resist uh, asking for help. But they, they do definitely participate in trade. They, in fact, uh, when it comes to what, the, what they deal with up there, and animals and things and so on, uh, they have the best supplies of those. A little bit of a background for Willowind, because we've not really dealt with it much, other than they went there uh, to open up the temple... And then on the way home is when they were attacked by Shoster and the whole Michael thing started. Um, Hello, Teresa. Oh, going in and out? Well, hopefully it gets to working for you. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, Appreciate you coming by. Um, So, Mercy's like, okay, well, definitely this is something we're going to do. Now, Ulrich is going to, uh, at this point, um, he is going to stay behind. uh, Because... Dealing with some issues at home and things of that nature, um, it doesn't. It's not a "Hey, we're being attacked" kind of message. If it was that, you know, she'd have gathered up the military and go charging in, you know. Uh, but it's a "We could use your help for something beyond us," and they've asked for Artemis specifically, so they can. She kind of assumes Artemis would be needed, so she decides to take Quan with her. It was the only other knight that's currently in Serenity. Um, and accompanying her will be Flynn. If you remember Flynn. Uh, was a young man who's been her squire for several years now, and also training to one day uh, step into the place as a knight of serenity as well. And he's, uh, he's, he's getting up there, 15, 16 years old at this point, you know, see how he goes. But he's attending as well. Um, and then they reach out to, Mercy reached out to Artemis and was like, hey, they've asked for help, they've asked us to come. If you don't feel up to it, I can let them know. Artemis is like, no, I, I think that's okay. I know Lucas isn't happy about it, but she makes arrangements, um... For, for Seraph to be looked after while she's gone. They don't expect to be gone but a week or so. Um, and Draven's due back within the next day or so. When he returns, uh, he'll stay and, you know, definitely she'll leave a message to please watch over Seraph till she gets back. Um, again, these are... It's not a situation where she likes leaving Seraph, but she lives a life... Of this nature, you know... where she has to go save the world... And save people regularly... Uh, there's a lot of times... She has to leave him with someone else... Because she just can't take a kid into battle... Uh, and she is a head of state... For all intents and purposes... But of course... Lucas is coming with her... And... Uh, uh, about 20 Templars... Mercy brings Quan... And about 10 of her... Uh, Flynn and her regulars as well... Um, now one thing... Uh, mention during this time period uh, that we hadn't really got to in the next set of adventure, uh, but some of the stuff that Mercy's doing to build Serenity. Things she's looking for. I've mentioned that she was into horses uh, in previous adventures where she's breeding horses and trying to get very sturdy horses for her knights as well as for the military. So that's something she deals with a lot. um, Off camera, if you will. There's times that we would... you know, If one person couldn't make it for D&D... Um, for whatever reason, myself and the other young lady would get together and we would do kingdom stuff with their characters. You know, whether it be, if it was the young lady who did Mercy and Dandy, we would do stuff that they were, you know, it's not really out adventuring, but stuff to f- further what their lives are like between adventures. And vice versa when the, I'm hanging out with the Darsh and Artemis. And Darsh and Artemis, probably more often, uh, because the young lady played the other two traveled a bit more because she was currently... Uh, she was actually marrying someone from Canada. So there was some back and forth there that she was gone for uh, several weeks at a time every few months. So during those times, there was a lot of time we had to just sit and build the kingdom together and develop what you wanted or what, what type of, you know, how do our knights work? What, is, what are you going to do with this city? What direction do you want things to go with your military? Um or Darsh, what do you want to develop on your islands? What are you looking to do? So it gave a lot of opportunity for them to build that stuff up. And that's not stuff we see much here in the story because it didn't happen during the game. It was just us casually hanging out, figuring out what we wanted to do. Uh, and sometimes just DMing a lot of uh, role play with NPCs where she's like, hey, I'm going to, I need to hire a blacksmith to do this. So I'm the blacksmith. We talk about just in, in and out like that, but nothing that's actually story based. So I don't have any of that stuff written down uh, as an example. so it doesn't take but a few hours for everybody to gather up everything they need and they start making their way to Willowind if you'll remember several days away, it's the furthest town and they arrive at Willowind uh, to find the town um, shuttered in a way, Uh, many people are not out wandering around and this is like early afternoon where the streets would be relatively uh, busier you know what I mean Um, the streets seem a little bit quieter than normal there's still a couple people walking around but quieter than normal Uh, Mercy arrives and immediately goes to the the mayor of the town whose name for some reason I don't have down here but I will will find it Uh, but goes to the mayor of the town and uh, actually I have it give me a minute it's important for the story. Just a moment. I will find it. Uh Willowind is a guy named Travis. <laughs> I don't have his last name written down here, but Travis if I remember correctly. So Travis is basically meets them and he's and invites Mercy and Artemis in along with Lucas and Quan and Flynn. The main ones kind of come into his house slash mayor's place uh, to kind of find out what's going on. And he seems a little visually distraught. Like, he's actually a little, you know, like, shaky. Which, he's a big dude. This is like, these are lumber, you know, lumberjack people and uh, Miners. These are big, burly kind of folks that live in this town, uh, and he's no, he's right up there with them. But he definitely looks visibly distraught. And, Art and Mercy and Artemis kind of noticed this right off the bat. And he's down, you know, you can tell, he's being polite, offering them drink and such. Um, and then asks, uh, you know, then of course they ask him like, okay, what what's going on? You you summoned us. We've, we've come here as quickly as we could. How can we help? And he proceeds to tell uh, them a story of uh, shock to the to the town several people um had gone missing over the past few weeks um they weren't kids or anything of that nature they're like you know adults and such but you know sometimes it's assumed well maybe they traveled maybe they left or whatever reason but after at first nobody really noticed but then after several had gone and And without saying goodbye, kind of thing, just disappearing, kind of in the night. People started to notice. There's been several, and they all appeared to be men, and all relatively large guys. Um, They just at this point, uh, over the last several weeks, five of them have gone missing, Um, and that in itself would be a bit of a concern because he was friends with one of the gentlemen. He goes, I know he just wouldn't up and leave without telling me or saying goodbye. Uh, Their house isn't. You know, it doesn't seem messed up or anything of that nature. Didn't look broken into. We've investigated. We found nothing there. It's like one day they just walked out the house and didn't come back. And on top of that, we run into another... There's a secondary issue where several uh, locations in the town appear to have been desecrated. This does not sound... uh, Definitely, that, that kind of perks them up even more. Mercy and Artemis... Artemis like, like, did something happen at the temple? And he's like, no, 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 nothing happened at the temple. Something happened at the temple, every human being in this town would have come out armed. <laughs> they, they wouldn't have tolerated that. It's a very religious group of people. Uh, but they're like, no, no, it wasn't really that. Um, but um, unfortunately, in the same time period, we've had to deal with some thefts. And they're like, okay, what kind of thefts? Well, um... Appears most to be jewelry, um, and uh, you know maybe uh, some minor artifacts of uh, wealth, but uh, more uh, of an emotional connection kind of stuff. And they're like, he sees me walking around it, and they're like, okay, who was robbed? And they're like, he's like, the graveyard. And he's like, what? He goes, there's a cemetery where the, the dead are buried, a ways out of town, because these are religious people, and they don't want the bodies of the dead right next to them. Uh, In a world where undead live, that's a common occurrence that the graveyard's not right in town. Um, And uh, the caretaker who lives in town, but goes out there and and kind of takes care of the the place and the graveyard and such, uh, went out there one evening to find that several uh, grave robbers had hit the place, and and certain things were missing. Like I said, uh, it appears like rings and things of value and such had been taken off of several corpses, um and things of that nature uh, which has the the people in frustration or worried because their first thought is are these people that have gone missing the ones that took the stuff and then took off and uh, but at the same time what if not right so they're a little, they're a little freaked out there um and he says I the only thing that he's been able to find you know him and the few he's also he's the mayor slash, Town constable, sheriff. Like, he does it all, right? It's a small town, you know? There's no reason to have five people doing a job he can just do himself. Um, And he's a lumberjack. He's a blacksmith, too. Like, he's just a big dude that does everything. Smart guy, but he's someone who can be trusted. And that's kind of why he has the position. He doesn't take crap from anybody else, even mercy. So, uh, he's like, you know, they've investigated to the best they could. Um, the clerics have come out in, uh, in the temple, and he makes a big point of saying that they've been in, indispensable, uh, just so useful to us and so helpful, and the casting spells to make sure there's no magic foul play on any of the homes of these people. They've helped everywhere they could, and we definitely appreciate the, the help of the, uh, the clergy. But he also goes on to say that the only thing that they've found is uh, some type of tracks that appear relatively human size or smaller, Uh, And they were found north of the cemetery. So the cemetery is north of the town. Uh, It's probably barely on the northern border of what would be considered this town's area. Above that's mostly just open plains, uh, kind of inhospitable area. You know, it's just like there's nothing there. Um, So rarely does anyone... these, These are... These are hunters and, and loggers and miners. There's nothing up there. They just don't go. It's not that it's like bad weather or anything, but it's just open plains, the occasional little pond or river, a tree here and there. There's just not a lot. And so they investigated out several miles and we're like, well, you know, we didn't find anything, so we're good. But they do, you know, keep an eye on things, but nothing has ever come from the north. They've never had any issues from that direction. Um, and it's not a And, and while uh, Serenity has also searched out that direction somewhat... They didn't really find anything either, because that is still, again, the border of Serenity at that point. So, there are patrols that kind of border along what they call Serenity's lands, but they don't go much further than that. This area is the area where they have no problems, right? No one ever, is the opposite side of the world of you know, Orimon's all the way over to the west. They're all the way over to the east. They're the furthest from where Mercy's troubles are. Uh, so, rarely has she ever had to even send troops out here. She's got a skeleton force on this side. Ormon would never be able to march all the way around or below and, and kind of take them by surprise. It's just not feasible the way the land is built up. Uh, so, not a huge concern there. And then south, of course, just leads down. It's a big open space until you eventually hit the, the lands of Paxival. There's nothing really in between there either. So, they're like, but... There we did, searching, find trail footprints and what almost appeared to be like... Uh, like carts, like a cart being pulled, like by this horseshoe, horse prints, and, and, and rudder ruts in the, in the, in the dirt. Um, heading north. And he goes, It was relatively rainy after the, the, the graveyard incident was discovered, and it appeared to be in the mud uh, going that direction. He goes, I don't really have the men to send that way. And to be honest, I don't even know if that's connected. Um, but the clerics here found nothing of magical foul play. Um, that they can find. So, really, so he's like, "I'm a loss. I don't know what else to do." Mercy Armist like, "Well, we're glad you called. I mean, definitely, weird things is what we do." Um, I'm like, "Okay, yeah, we can we can help with this. I'm sure." Um, it's early afternoon, so they're like, "We'd like to see the homes of these people that have gone missing, uh, and we'd like to go out to the cemetery." And he's like, "Well, it's getting late," and they're like, "Yeah, we we don't want to wait. we we'll, we'll, we'll need a guide." He's like, "Well." I'll take you. I'm not sending anybody else out there late at night. they like, okay, that's fine. So, he's like, alright, we can do that. So they take him to the town, to the each of the homes, and it's just like he describes. Nothing missing, doesn't look like any doors are broken, open, or anything like that. <clears throat> it seems just like nothing at all, no issues. Uh, if anything, you know, like, a bed's left unmade, dirty dishes on the table. Like, someone just got up and walked out for no reason. Um, but nothing of foul play, if you will. In fact, they say when they arrived, the doors weren't even locked. They're just sitting there unlocked, but all closed. It's looking normal. They check all the houses, and each house is the same way of the... I think I said four or five guys that have been missing at this point. I how many of them um, are? <clears throat> And after I find anything, they're like, "Okay, um, Artemis." Uh, at this time, has also sent some Templars to the uh, local temple, who've come out to meet them while they're investigating. Artemis hears the report from each of those uh, the clerics that were involved. These are the spells we cast. We found nothing. All the stuff Artemis would have expected. There's nothing really that they would have missed on these houses. arm is like, "Okay, we feel good about this. Then there's nothing weird here. Let's head on up to the uh, the cemetery." So the whole party mounts up and starts heading that direction. And while they're going, they're talking to Travis, the guy, and they're like, you said you found footprints, and you said some people are missing. The footprints that you saw, were they about, could they have been from these guys? And he's like, I don't really think so. They look you know, kind of average or smaller than than, than the average guy's footprints. These are all really big guys. Like, really big guys. Uh, And he goes, hey, they would have definitely left something larger and you know, well, everybody would be big boots kind of thing. They seemed more like softer shoes. They weren't like big, deep footprints that you would expect from someone who has a lot of weight on them. Um, and they're like, okay, that's 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 a good that's that's good. That's a good clue. That that actually helps. Thanks. So they made it to the cemetery and they start searching around. And they arrive and... The they didn't they weren't able to reach out to the guy who caretakes the place. They kind of left in a hurry, but they get there and Travis becomes a little concerned uh, when he points out that from what he's since the last time he's here, two more graves look like they've been affected. There's two more graves that are now dug out. Well, at this point, the Templars and Mercys folks just circle the whole place, make sure if there's anybody in here, no one's getting out, and at the same time protecting them. Well, Artemis Quan. Uh, Mercy and uh, Lucas kind of going to check out what's going on. They go searching around uh, and sure enough the the, the graves are relatively are, are dug right out. The coffins are open. The corpses are just kind of laying there. And uh, Travis is definitely upset because he knows these people. And they could tell from the corpses. Mercy and Artemis have a lot of experience with corpses. These people haven't been dead probably more than just a few months. Um, And they asked... you know, that's their question. Of the other people that were affected, were they older graves or newer graves? He's like, well, they all all would have been died within the past six months. Uh, And you know, I have to point out that even though it's a small town, sickness, old age, and just a medieval style society. People die relatively regularly, you know what I mean? If it's, it's they haven't had an increased death rate, but, you know, losing 8 to 10 people in this kind of just people from catching a cold and falling, getting kicked by a horse, you know, whatever. There's a lot of things that will kill you in this world that are natural, you know. So I want to stress that at no point, this is what I told them, at no point did any of them die of mystical causes because they would have checked that the ter- the clerics who do the rites and such if they if things started popping up that looked unnatural they would have checked for things like that but nothing nothing of the unnatural um but one of these new corpses was actually another person that Travis knew very very well and he's uh quite upset because uh it, it's, it the the corpse is missing a leg and Mercy and Artemis are like, excuse me? He's like, he died. He was attacked by a wolf. But when we buried him, he had two legs. There's one leg in there. And they get down, they look, and sure enough, one leg has just been cut straight off. Almost, not cleanly either. Like, is it cut or is it chewed off? It's hard to tell. You know, they they, they look at it and they're like, it doesn't look like a, a tool per se. It's Whatever it is is jagged. So, again, it could have been something that literally chewed it off and pulled it out. And so they start looking around the actual grave themselves, and the the young ladies, the characters, asked me, they're like, okay, well, when we see the hole, does it look like it was dug by paws, like something's dug it out like an animal? Or does it look like a shovel did it? You know, like you can, if you've ever dug a hole, you can tell like a shovel, throw the dirt over there, versus an animal rooting it in one direction. And I'm like, no, it looks very deliberately dug out. I mean, it is is—it is clearly that someone has used tools, shovel, pickaxe, something of some kind to dig this out. So that's confusing. So while well, they're looking at these things, Quan and Lucas are looking around. Quan, being uh, the sun's going down at this point, it's getting pretty, uh, starting to get dark. Um, Quan is uh, going around and checking the guards and the Templars, making sure everything is okay. Um, and as they're looking around and they, they start searching the the bodies and such, and they asked did any of the other bodies missing you know, parts uh, or look like they'd been eaten in some way and he's like, I, I don't know, I didn't see them I'll be honest with you, I didn't really see the bodies at that point they'd already been covered up or buried already or the clerics had come taking care of it, I, I, I didn't ask, why would I ask he's like, I came out and checked the area, but the bodies were already gone I, I don't know and he looks genuinely upset about this and shocked. Like, how am I going to tell this to this person's family that, his we're having to rebury him and his leg's gone. Like, how do you tell that to us, to a you know widow? Oh, your husband, somebody dug him up, stole his ring, and his leg. And sure enough, he says, yeah, he had a wedding ring. It's not there. He goes, I was at the I was at the funeral. I know for sure he's buried with his wedding wedding ring on. It was the only piece of jewelry the man ever wore. Uh, but it was it was important to him. And his wedding ring is gone. And his leg. And the wedding ring does not look cut off. he's slipped off a finger. Uh, But he's able to, to attest to that. That he was, in fact, he knows for sure he was buried with that. So, mystery, Scooby. Instead of heading back to town, even though it's dark, they decide to continue heading north to take a look at the tracks or the area. It hasn't really rained much since then, and uh, the sky is a little over over cloudy, and they're concerned that they may lose their chance to get a look at these tracks before it rains. So uh, Travis now, even more worried, is like, yeah, definitely, I'm all about it. Let's, yeah, I know it's late at night, but let's go take a look at these. I know exactly where they were, because that I found, I I was the one who found them, My the group I was with. So they travel for a good ways, like 30, 40 minutes north. And again, uh, they... A couple Templars and a couple uh, guards of, uh, knights, or Warriors of Serenity are left to watch the graveyard until they return to make sure nobody else sneaks in there and takes anything while they're gone. And they start, again, traveling north. About 30, 40 minutes later, they get to where the prints were um, and everyone can tell that there's more than one set of prints. Uh, again, at least two or three fo- sets of footprints, more than one set of wagon prints. And he's like, there was only one before. Because so, this is a softer area. It's near this like so, little bit of marsh nearby. It's one of the few areas that's not dry. So going through here, it's a little bit muddy. Uh, there's also uh, what appear to be some type of pony prints pulling the wagon. You know, it's, it's like hooves. They can tell it doesn't look like a wolf ring. Like, it's like horse or oxen hooves or whatever they're using to pull it. Probably a mule of some kind. It's pulling the wagon and there's several puts, puts of footprints. And looking carefully now with the fresh ones, they can see they went both ways. Went towards the city and now back. Quan gets down and takes a look at those. And he's like, these are only a few hours old. I can tell you that right now. That's, that's his thing. You know, he's, he's good at that. He's a sneaky guy. Um, and Mercy and Artemis are like, we need to follow them. We need to catch up to them. Because if you know, there's a lot of open land up here. Uh, if they, they could go any direction. If we don't catch up to them soon, we may never find them. We definitely don't want them to come back. So they get to traveling. And they travel for several hours. And every so often... Quan's in the lead with a couple of good trackers... That they have just with them in general. They would have brought somebody who's good at that. They, As they're traveling along... They occasionally will find just small glimpses of prints. So like, ah, they went this way. Now they went this way. And they find that they're going uh, a lot more northeast than north. At one point they really jagged to the, to the northeast. And there is... Uh, not a, a mountain, but a big hill, a big hill in this direction that, uh, Travis says that it has been seen, you know, like, you know, it's there, but no one ever really messaged big hill. It's, he goes, I, I believe I've been that way myself at one point. I, I couldn't tell you, but it looks like it's heading towards that hill. He goes, but it's years since I've come this far north at this point. Like, I mean, literally we just, and then, I mean, I've probably been this way since the merge. So, you know, after the merge, they would have looked around. He goes, so obviously I'm not going to find something that merged in that I didn't know was here. They wouldn't be this close to town without looking at it. They travel for several hours, mostly through the night, afraid to lose the tracks. And and sure enough, each time they find a little something, Quan and the prof- and the tracker that, that in, in the, their employer are like, yeah, we're, we're getting closer. These are only 30 minutes, 20, 30 minutes old at this point. They're really fresh found some animal poop this is hot poop this is some very warm poop this is a fresh poop and they're like okay well enough about the poop we trust you let's go <laughs> so they continue on cuz now they're you know trying to catch up and trying to... so as they're moving along they get closer to this area that where the hill is supposed to be and it's a relatively like I said overcast night so it's it's very dark not a lot of starlight not right? a lot of moon kicking through there occasionally clouds will go through and moon will pop out a little bit but it's mostly just just dark and you can imagine that there's no cities, there's not nothing to produce light it's just a pitch black darkness other than the torches that they're carrying um, Artemis maybe has a, uh, some type of light thing going on on her staff but they're, they're making their way along Makes, that's why they've got to go a little bit slower but they're still making good time They've been traveling for several hours. It's about three o'clock in the morning at this point, and they've all traveled a lot this day. They're feeling a little bit tired. Exactly, Poopa but they're uh, they're like, do we need to sit? Do we need to rest? Do we need to stop? I mean, we're trying to make that termination. And about that time, the clouds kind of blow across, and, and, and the area lights up a little bit more, so the normal the stars and the moon are a little bit more visible. As a large cloud passes over, there's a, a bit of a break in the clouds. It won't last long. Sure enough, in the distance, they can see the silhouette of that hill. But on top of the hill is the silhouette of a building. A relatively high building. At least three or four stories high. Travis is like, there's not been a building up there before. I can tell you that. If I've seen a building up there, I would went and looked at it. So they're like, okay, well, that means maybe it's, it's new then. This could be an issue then if someone's up here. This could be some now. Now Mercy's thinking military. What if this is a, a, a you know somebody else's take up here? Could it be brigands? You mean brigands? Higher up, you know, is it is it is that kind of thing? Is it like a thieves' hold? Uh, it could be worse. Could there be some type of military force up here that we've never really messed with that's now moving south into what we would consider our lands? Uh, at this point, Mercy's like, okay, enough of missing legs. Now I'm thinking like the soldier's problems. This is, I'm a queen here. I've got to look at this stuff. Her and Quan discuss that. As they continue to move close, because the tracks were going that way, but they haven't seen much in a little while. And it's the first uh, sign of any form of civilization they've seen in this area. So they decide to continue that way. Well-armed, ready to go. So swords at the ready and such. Uh, those warriors there with crossbows have got them cranked, knocked and ready to go. Uh, and they are prepared to fire at will. Or Jim or Jack, or whoever's there. But probably will. Old pun joke I've used a lot in d d Fire at will, or Frank, or ball <laughs> yeah. So, sorry. Moment of flashbacks there. So they, uh, as they're getting to the bottom of this hill, it turns out to be, a. it's a very steep hill. Like, they're like, okay, it looks like a hill, but it's very steep. It's almost like a, like a big thumb sticking under the ground kind of thing. It's it's, it's more steep and then you're rounded at the top, but it's it's quite a ways up there. Um, and their horses aren't going to have a difficult time getting up. So they're like, well, where were the wagon, if it came this direction, it couldn't have gotten up there either. So this may not be the area we're looking. So do we go all the way around it or do we try to go up here? And they thinking about, decide that it's probably best that they go around it first in case there's a more level place to go. So they start going around a southeasterly. Wait, right, Chris, for you guys that would be southeasterly. I always, I always try to do it backwards so you guys are seeing it the right direction. Because to me that's west, but to you that's east. So i got to watch these. things. <laughs> so, so they start going around, uh, and sure enough as they get around the other side they see that it does uh, level out more, and there appears to be a... Almost like a trail that leads up the side. Uh, and sure enough, wagon prints and fresh poop ready to go. Animals poop, man. What are you going to do? Now, the trail is relatively narrow. They won't be able to go up there en masse. So they have to make a determination of what they're going to do. And is determined that Mercy, Quan, several of their knights are going to go up first. See what they see. Uh, Lucas is okay with that because he doesn't want Artemis marching off into trouble, which he knows she will do if he's not there to watch her. And sometimes even when he is there to watch her. But Mercy and Kwan make their way up. Just a couple of warriors. It's a not it's still relatively steep, and as they're getting part way up they have they get off their horses and kind of tie them off on a branch or a tree or whatever, and they start coming up by foot, and they're trying to be relatively quiet. The building appears to have some form of lights coming in from windows, although the windows appear to be either draped. It's more of a tower than anything else. You know what I mean? So imagine uh, uh, imagine a boot, if you will, like a tower but with like a bit of a building off of one side at the bottom. And this thing kind of leads to that bottom part and then the tower. And You can see bits of light through what were probably windows, but either they're boarded up, Or they have some type of curtains on them, so you can't really see much, just the slight cracks of lighting through them. Um, They can smell smoke from a fire as they get closer. Uh, Nothing weird, funky smoke, which is regular smoke. There's probably a fire going in a fireplace. On a clearer day or a uh, daytime, they might be able to see the smoke from where it's coming from, but they really can't hear at night. But they travel on up a little bit further. They're getting, they see the building, and they come up to near the top of this hill, and it's not a very large building, per se. Uh, just tall. It's unusually tall. And from what they can see in the darkness, it appears relatively new. Uh, it's, uh, it's made of stone, very sturdy. Um, Mercy, looking at it, thinks the construction seems a bit odd. But, you know, she's like, Hmm, maybe. Uh, maybe if Artemis here, she'd be able to tell, but I want to go down and get her for, the, for a weird-looking building, because maybe she couldn't anyways. Quan's like, something seems off about it as well. And it's about this time that it starts to lightly rain. Just a light rain, light mist. But as I said, it's very cloudy, the moon's gone again, and it's gotten cloudier, and it's, it's it definitely just a light rain is coming down, which never makes things easier. They're like, well, we could let's do this. You know, we could walk up and knock on the door, right? Like, why cause? See, this could be somebody completely unrelated. This isn't land she technically claims, or even if it was, she hasn't really enforced that. Somebody might have moved here, and not known that. Merge worlds, right? Let's let's go up and uh, see what's going on. There's, I got four knights plus a Quan. Flynn's down with Artemis, and uh, I decide to go ahead and do that. So as they're approaching the door. Uh, Artemis is like, I will knock on the door. You I, I am the queen. I will knock on the door. Everybody stands back. And she knocks on the door. And she waits. She doesn't hear anything. Okay? Maybe there She knocks much much harder. She's got her big metal gauntlets on, right? Clang clang clang. Like you're going to hear that. She's not walking around bare-fisted. She's got all her armor on. She's traveling. As she's knocking that second time, even though it's very loud, suddenly one of the knights calls out, Instantly, she turns and her morning star is in her hand. Very often, her morning star is attached to her belt. She rarely has to pull it out. Like, she's got that ring, it just pops in her hand all the time. She's always putting it away, but getting it into her hand is instantaneous. And she turns around to see that they're under attack. So, Mercy calls out. Quan, it's very dark. They had a couple torches, but the torches are dropped as the people are drawing their weapons and because they didn't have their weapons all drawn while they're banging on the door but they're prepared torches are dropped and everybody's fighting in the in the light rain, several of the, the two of the torches go out there's just one and mercy's fighting almost in complete darkness she knows that whatever's attacking them you know mercy's a little on the short side but they're still smaller than her they still could be human but they're you know they're very humanoid what she can see in the darkness and a couple of times she feels her morning star hit something solid uh, that's squishy. So it's not one of her people because they're armored up. Even Quan wears something. But she's calling out for additional help, hoping that down the hill, even though the wind is, the rain's picking up a little bit while this is going on, that additional people will hear her. After a couple of minutes, the seems to stop down, and, and Mercy finds herself kind of alone in the dark. She's kind of standing there listening, not moving, waiting to see if she can hear another voice. Anybody breathing? She call it, whispers out for Quan, and she knows the names of her other guys with her. She wishes name. nobody answers. So she waits a few moments in case something else is there. Nothing happens. <clears throat> she slowly and carefully tries to make her way over to where she approximately remembers one of the torches falls. Took her a little bit, even in the rain sometimes. Start a lightning flash every so often in the distance. Not a huge thunderstorm, but a little bit of lightning flash flash a little bit and she can, she sees silhouettes of bodies on the ground, but she has a hard time seeing who or what. She makes her way and she grabs a torch. She drops her morning star because she can pop it back in her hand in an instant. Kind of hoping that will draw somebody out. She drops her arm. She, She pulls out her stuff. She starts lighting this torch which is a bit wet. Takes her a minute or two to do so. But she does. And when she has it lit, she is very shocked and dismayed to find two of her knights. or Warriors, I should say dead on the ground. The other two and Quan are missing. Light rains cause mud, there's clear stuff, there's tracks of dragging, and tracks lead to the door. Oddly enough, she never heard a door open and no light came from the building, but it appears to be something or somebody was dragged to the door. She she knows she hit the enemy at least once or twice, but there's no signs of their bodies either. not knowing what else to do at this point. She's kind of by herself. Mercy carefully makes her way back down to the horses, keeping an eye to see if she's attacked again. She is not. She takes her horse back down to the bottom and immediately explains what happened. Now, all of her guards are armed and ready to go marching up that hill, which is what they're going to do. But Artemis is also coming with them, as is Lucas. And uh, Artemis and Lucas are like, yeah, we should totally come because if either of those guys up there are not dead, Artemis maybe needed to heal them. So they make their way up this hill. As far as they could, then the, everybody gets off their horses at the bottom. Let me rephrase that. Everybody gets off the horses at the bottom, they leave a couple of guards and Flynn at the horses. That's what it was. Flynn does not go with them. But They make their way up the hill, climbing up there. Artemis is in her robes. And everybody's getting wet. The rain's coming down much harder now. The lightning thunder getting a little bit closer. It's a stormy night. And they make it up to the door. Now, they decide that, you know, They were attacked here, so no more nice knocking at the door. They decide instead uh, they're going to open the door. Um, And for that, there was Lucas, uh, who... Starts shoulder-banging the door, and sure enough, it doesn't take long till that thing starts to bust. It's a, it's a new door, but it's not made real well. And that's an, Artemis is looking at some of the... Now there's more torches and lights, and people have got some lamps lit, so the rain doesn't put them out. So there's more lighting up here now. Artemis does check the two gentlemen. Unfortunately, they are dead. Uh, they appear to have been run through or stabbed by some type of bladed weapon um, multiple times. Uh, unfortunately, there's no saving them but also looking at the at the thing artemis is like yes there's something weird about the building it doesn't it's crude it's very poorly built it's newer you can tell it's new but it's very poorly built there's not a very good design to it like it was it's like rocks and stuff were built it you know but not like in a cool pattern or smooth the rocks sticking out of it kind of jaggedly and such it's just very poorly made overall finally lucas and the knight or Templar helping him... Managed to bust the door in. And... Mercy and, 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 and Lucas... And several of the... Uh, warriors are the first ones inside. This would be some type of common room. There is a fireplace here... Although the fire appears to be about out. There are some very... Very poorly made furniture. Some just basic tables and chairs... That look like they were made by... Children more than adults. And they're just... You know... Thrown down... Knocked over and such... And sure enough, they can see that there's something was dragged across the floor, and there are some blood marks from that. Another one of her warriors lies in the center of this room, rushing forward. She checks, and sadly, no pulse. At this point, Artemis is brought in, very well circled by people. uh, And they find that, again, Artemis is also um, uh, not able to save him. He's already dead. So now, Quan and the last missing guy are, are gone. So, they're like, okay, well, we, Mercy's very concerned for Quan and her other guy at this point. You know, unnamed warrior number three. Like, yeah, I don't have a name for everybody. <laughs> but they uh, they make theirself to the end of this room. And sure enough, the, this is where the tower is. And the tower itself is relatively large. And the inside's no better built than the outside. Like, the rocks protrude. Like, it's not a nice smooth wall Like like you would expect by good craftsmanship. It was very handmade by someone who probably hasn't made a lot of these. It looks sturdy enough, but not phenomenal. Um, the wooden stairs and such that are built into the side of it uh, creak under their footsteps, and they're like, you know, dangerously so. So they're careful they'll only go up one at a time. Um, Mercy wants Artemis to stay behind, but Artemis is like, no, at this point, I need to be right with you. A, because you don't know what's coming ahead, and I'm the only magic you've got. And B, if we do find another one of the Quan or the other gentlemen, I need to get to him as quick as possible. We've already found three dead. If there's injuries, I've got to be there as quickly as I can. So it is Lucas who's actually at the right after Mercy heading up with Artemis behind him. And then several guards and Templars coming up behind. As they start to come up, Lucas is careful... Uh, barely able to make it up the steps himself. They creak so much under the weight of his armor. Um, but a couple of the guards who are a little bigger than him, sure enough, one of the, the very first early steps break. So they have to kind of line up and try to find who's the lightest people to come up with them. And Mercy, even with her armor on, is one of the smallest people there. She's a very short lady. Um, they start making their way up the stairs, but they're having to go very carefully. The handrails are rickety. They try to make their way up. They make their way up to the first floor. Technically, I understand they were on the first floor. So the first floor above them, which is the second floor, for clarification. They make it to the second floor. And this is a relatively uh, large room. It's one room, the entire size of this big round tower. it's a good size around, you know. uh, It's wide, probably, I don't know, 50 feet. 60 feet, however big that is. It's a big, round tube kind of going up. Um, But at this point, it appears that there's just one floor, right? They can't see up very much with their torches, but they get to this, and they can see that on the opposite side of the room is another set of stairs going up. And those ones look a little bit better. The floor here has stuff. With that I mean, legitimately stuff—pillows, boxes, bags of potato. I mean, just stuff. Things that you'd find in a closet or an attic. It appears to be more of a storage area than anything else, and it's just piled oddly. There's not a real rhyme or reason to it. There might be a few shelves, but are uh, you know, stuff's just tossed on those. There's no organization here. Oh, no problem, Doctor Superfly. Appreciate you swinging by to say hi. Glad to have you. So, they're like, okay. They're going to cautiously move across the floor. This floor seems relatively sturdy. No issues there. And they're about halfway across the room. When, about that time, because, you know, I'm that way, right? Several things come out from between boxes and stacked shelves with their weapons. They move normal speed. They don't seem to be in a hurry, but they come out, they have weapons, and they begin to attack. Well, Mercy's there, and Artemis, with her ready to go, instantaneously, Artemis sees what they're facing, and knows what she has to do. It's not often you find undead with weapons, but sure enough, these zombie-like creatures that attack them, uh, are armed. Relatively large zombie-like creatures. And they are attacking at them. Artemis uses her ability to turn undead, one of her more powerful spells, and at her rank, incredibly strong. And it has absolutely no effect whatsoever. Which surprises her. Because that's an ability that should work just about every time. Especially on zombies. Mercy, Lucas, and several guards that have made their way up here at this point, on the floor with them, enter into combat. Doesn't take long to take them out. They are, in fact, zombies, but they're moving with purpose. Uh, Like, they know how to use their weapons somewhat. Uh, And they're, you know, it's more brutal and slashing than it is finesse. So it doesn't take long for Mercy and Lucas, who are incredibly skilled warriors, uh, to dance around their blades and, and squish head, which they do. When they get that done, though, there's a bit of a there's a moment of silence and they turn to Artemis. Artemis is like, that shouldn't have happened. I've never found a zombie I can't turn. You know, because turning undead does several different things depending. If you're a high enough level cleric and a low enough level undead, they'll just explode or turn to dust or catch on fire. Different things. Um, if they're stronger undead, then literally they will flee from you for a period of time. You're literally turning them around and sending them away. They don't want to be near you they they feel your fear your holiness if that um, at her level, most regular skeletons and zombies should just poof, but these did not, which means either they were much more powerful, which is not likely, or something very powerful was sending them at them. now there's more of a concern. what else is in here besides just Big undead things. The zombies and such themselves look worse for wear. They're not in the best of shape. Uh, pieces of their face appear to be you know, missing and decaying, and you know, see pieces of the jaw here and skins missing and such. Um, Travis, who is they told to wait down with the horses with Flynn and stuff, they wish they'd have brought him at this point so they could ask, "Hey, are these the guys that are missing?" Because they didn't bring him, which I thought was funny. But at this point, they're like. They check the area as best they can. They don't find any others. They figure, we need to continue on. Time is of the essence. And if these are zombies, what is happening to Quan and miscellaneous warrior number three? So they take the next set of stairs and start moving up. They get to the next floor. And on this floor, it's quite a ways up. They go up a good, almost like two stories, if you would, before they get to the next floor. And this floor is a little bit different. Um, the middle of it, like, let's uh, just say that each side that they come up, they come up on their side and there's like a, a landing, right? It's like kind of like a, 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 a half circle, right? Imagine the room was, uh, what's the easiest way to do this? I'm having a heck of a time explaining this. Okay. Here's a plate, all right? Imagine this is an overhead, right? This section, imagine a line drawn here and a line drawn here, and that's just a hole going down. So, the only part that actually is ground is just this round in a section, and on the opposite side in a section. The big space going down to to the other stories. Hopefully, that makes more sense now that I use the plate that smells like pickles. Don't judge me. <laughs> so, they, uh, they're they like, okay. So, they're looking across this hole. Sure enough, um, there appears to be on the other side, uh, almost like a lowering drawbridge-looking thing. It's, looks... Not the best made, but it looks like it's functional um, but it's up on the other side so they start looking for ways to trigger it and there's nothing on their side but on the other side there appears to be uh, like a mechanism you know like a spinning wheel that if it was to be loosened might let it down. Well they don't have anybody with them that's archers, not specifically you know Throwing weapons, maybe they might be able to hit it, but uh, shooting with crossbows and stuff, probably not so much. They have a couple crossbows. They could probably shoot at it. It's not going to do a whole lot. It's a pretty big mechanism, you know, big crankety wheel thing. So Mercy's like, well, the only thing I could think to throw is my Morningstar because it's big and it's heavy, and if I can hit it, it'll, do a, it'll probably break it, might lower it. Worst case scenario, I just pop it back to my hand. This is easy for her, right? So she winds up real big and she throws it. And just misses a few feet to the left. Hits the stone wall. Lands on the little platform next to it. Hits the wall and a piece of the wall crumbles out. They can see a little hole there. And they're like, this thing is really not built that sturdy. Pop. Morningstar is back in her hand. She raises up to do so again when suddenly she's struck. She's struck. By a bolt of magic energy... Pfft, shoots across the room... Hits her... Sends her knock backwards... And falls back on her butt... Hurts... Not overwhelmingly bad... But... Mercy knows a magic missile when she sees one... She's hung out with way too many wizards... To not know what a magic missile looks like... And immediately she just yells out... Mage... That's all she says... And as soon as that happens... Everybody with a shield pulls it out and kind of pops it in front of him, and hides. Be- Ar- and Lucas pulls Artemis behind hers because he's a big dude with a sword and a shield. Shield behind that to hide Artemis. Artemis prepares to defend. A couple seconds later, pop, pop. A few more magic missiles come at Mercy, who's not carrying a shield, and they hit her. There's nothing she can do to stop that. Magic missiles never miss as long as you can see your target. Mercy knows that. So Mercy lets him hit her, knows they're going to hurt she got hit with two magic missiles. That's not a lot. If a super mage, would be way bigger than that. She knows enough about magic to know that that's an okay mage. But to be hit, that thing, person, it, whatever it is, has to be able to see her. Which means she's going to be able to see where they come from. And she literally cares. I'm going to let myself get hit so I can see the source. Well, across the way, turns out, there is a set of stairs. They can't see it because there's stone and the stairs go up behind it. So it looks like just a round stone room. When really on the other side there's a space with more stairs going up. person pops out. And has some kind of a wand. And it goes like this and flings the magic missiles. Mercy was prepared and watching. And as soon as that happens. Mercy whips her morning star at the source of them. Now she does not assume she's going to hit. And she's correct. She did not. But what she did do is throw a really big, heavy Morningstar and smack it into a stone wall pretty close to whatever that is. Taking a huge chunk out of the wall, that's going to startle anybody. And she hears a, like an eep kind of a noise, like a shocked thing, and can faintly hear footsteps going upstairs. Whatever that was, was not expecting that. Morningstar is back in her hand. Everybody else rises. Now they got crossbows out. They're ready. They're, the people with bows who actually can shoot a little bit are all waiting that area. Anything pops out, they've got free reign to fire. Mercy takes a few more shots, and finally, sure enough, she hits that mechanism with her Morningstar. It does, in fact, crack it, but it unlocks it, and then the thing just falls down rather hard and bounces a bit. They have to kind of grab it and use it there. It's not well latched. Uh, in fact, several of the guards have to hold it on each, on that side while they get across. And while two guards go across first, Mercy sends two across, they are holding that side while everybody else comes through. Now, at each time they go up a floor, they're leaving people behind. Because they don't know, A, they're running out of space, the tower does get a bit smaller as they're going up. You can't just march with 20 people up a set of stairs, it just doesn't work that way. So each time they go up, they're losing some people. So at this point, it is Mercy... Artemis, Lucas, and about ten guys, or gals, ten people, uh, of which half are Templars, half are warriors of Serenity, soldiers. So, they're making their way up again. They follow these stairs, and these stairs are the most stable of all of them, Um, and the stairs seem to be relatively well made. They get up to the next floor, which is not far above the floor they were just at, And as they get to the top, they find a locked door. Now, this door is metal bars. Metal bars, and it's locked. They can see through it. The room's dark. There's no lighting in there. Mercy gets up very carefully, looking around, doesn't see anything. Watching for magic missiles. Takes one of the torches they have, tosses it into the room. Which immediately catches a rug on fire, which wasn't their original plan, but still managed to work that way. As soon as the rug catches up in flames, they see the thing on the other side of the room. Whatever it was that popped out before. It appears to be human. Does not appear to be undead, although it's pretty ugly. Very unattractive. It's half human, half something. They can't tell. Orc, goblin, maybe goblin. That's an interesting parentage you want to hear about. Looks like half-human, half-goblin-ish. And the thing seems not overly brave. But it's still standing there with that wand. And it fires a magic missile. Well, of course, Mercy's the one up front. She gets hits again, stumbles back. Artemis has already healed her from the last ones. They're now back around the corner. The thing you can hear is stomping, trying to put the fire out. I ask Mercy what she wants to do. Mercy says, I want to hit the wall, the wall on the outside of the building, hard with my Morningstar. What happens? I'm like, it goes right through. Just punches and knocks rocks back out. She pulls her band back through. She goes, really? It's, it's that weak. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's in fact so much so that the, the moisture from the rain probably not helping. It's relatively new, what you would assume from this. It's really And Mercy's like, okay, that's, that's what I need to know. And she talks to Lucas and tells him what she thinks, and Lucas is like, worth a try. And now Lucas gets his shield out, he prepares himself, and just goes tearing up the stairs as hard as he can, and hurls himself shield first into that metal door, which immediately breaks. The, bo- the metal door doesn't, but it's attached to that weak wall. And sure, any huge hit on that would have caused the bolts and stuff to rip right out of the stone. More so enough that a, a relatively hole appears there as well. He hits it and really was expecting a bit more resistance. And he, he and it, he goes sliding on, he falls on his side. Well, the thing in the middle of the room starts pop firing magic missiles at him, which is successful. But Mercy comes running up at the thing and manages to get in melee range. Well, it draws some type of. I think it was like a, a cudgel, like a, a club kind of thing. It tries to enter into melee, and it's clearly outmatched. It only takes Mercy, like, two rounds to kill this thing. Like, it is clearly not a warrior, and it is clearly not a wizard. It just happened to have a magic wand. but It wasn't that bright, either. It was it had no strategy to it. It was just trying to hit her. It was about her size, actually. It's small. That's why, again, half-human, half-goblin is kind of what pops into her head. But against her armor and more his cudgel hits her a few times, she barely feels it. Funk. Doesn't take much to knock it down. Lucas is up at this point. Artemis gives him a quick heal. They make sure the rest of that fire is stomped out. This area is actually nicer. This room is pretty well decorated. There's some comfortable cushions that are probably used as chairs or a bed. Um, there's some a nice, relatively nice desk there that's made of wood, um, a shelf with some books on it. This is the first room they've seen that looks like a decent person would live there. It's a small chest. appears to be locked. They don't take time to open it. They're in the middle of an adventure. We'll loot later. But there are, on the other side of the room, stairs going up. And as they approach those stairs, they hear some type of talking or murmuring or chanting coming from up the stairs. And they can tell from the window on this floor that the storm has gotten much, much rougher. They know that from base where they are, they've got to be close to the top of this tower. So they go making their way back up. Again, cautiously. Mercy at the front. Leaving a couple guards here as well. Now they're down to Mercy, Artemis, Lucas, and six warriors. Warriors, they leave back there. Know not to touch anything. There was some magic spells here. They don't know what else is there. Don't touch anything. They make it up these stairs. These stairs, are relatively made of stone, they're built right into the wall. And they're narrow and short. If you know what I mean, the stairs are smaller than Mercy would be used to walking up a human set of stairs. They feel like the stairs themselves are. She's like, she's tip 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 tip. If you've ever gone up stairs like that, stairs that are built for a kid, on something. It feels like you're tip, tip, tip. you're going upstairs that are just way too short. You're taking way more steps than you need to. Where you could walk two or three steps at a time. But that's how she feels. And they make their way up... To what would be... The top floor. Now when they arrive... Mercy... Immediately... Has her weapon ready. Preparing. Because what she sees in front of her is this. At least... Six zombies. Six or eight zombies. Stand between her and the rest of the room. They are all armed. One of them used to be one of her men. Miscellaneous warrior number three. Behind them are two large wooden tables. Kind of slanted. Laying on one... Is Sir Quan. On the one next to him, a much larger person. Huge, you might say. Seven, seven and a half feet tall. Big human being. Looks odd. One arm greatly larger than the other. One normal arm, one really big arm. Just one leg a little bigger than the other one. Looking all crooked and weird. Standing between them is a gnome in black robes. Bald little gnome. Little bit of a beard on him. Scraggly beard. Not well kept. Frantically casting a spell. Mercy sees that something is strapped down Quan and this whatever it is. And there appears to be some type of machine type thing on the other side of the wall but look like metal bowls on each of their heads. Weird wires and contraptions leading to the machine. I tell you, gnomes are dangerous. Tinker gnomes especially. Not known for the success of many of their contraptions. Sometimes they work, but more often than not, they do more damage than help. A tinker gnome is a dangerous thing. Even a good one like a good person what he thinks might help might hurt what is also as dangerous is a necromancer kind of wizard that spends his life his or her life devoted to the raising of the dead to creating those that which have already passed very often seeking the ways to eternal life themselves through lichdom and things very often necromancers are on the path to lichdom that's kind of what got them started Extending life beyond death. Now, Tinker, Gnome, Necromancer... Is what they've come across today. I'm going to apologize here in a minute. Because... I'm goofy. As the lightning cackles outside... Cracking and such... Every time it does, seems to get it closer. Quan and the thing on the table next to him seem to shiver like they're being shocked by the electricity each time the lightning cracks. The roof has a hole in it. Rain comes pouring down in the center. As Mercy moves forward to try to get to Quan's aid, the group of zombies attack. Now once again, Artemis attempts to turn these zombies as an unsuccessful you can be a cleric who turn undead, but a necromancer controlling undead, also hard to deal with. And his power over undead is a little bit more powerful than hers. So the undead attack. The hard issue they have here is that there's not a lot of room. Most of her warriors, because Mercy likes to keep them in the back, can't get up the stairs to help. It's mostly Mercy, Lucas, and Artemis, and one warrior that can get up to help. Which they do. And they start going at these zombies. Now, these zombies aren't normal zombies. They have some memory. At least some. They're moving with intent and purpose. They have some of their training, none of their individualism. Mercy is disheartened to find herself almost immediately in combat with one of her most loyal people, Miscellaneous Warrior Number 3. I feel bad. I don't remember his name. He had a name at the time. I gave him all names. I just don't remember because I can't find that paper. (laughs) But she's fighting him. These ones are act a little bit better. Maybe it's because they're closer to the their creator, and he's somehow still controlling them. But it takes a little bit longer to make their way through these. The three warriors and Artemis, who is bonking with her quarterstaff very poorly, not very successfully. Uh, But they are they are hitting things. And there, but as the last zombie falls, and Mercy prepares to move forward. She, you know, She's fighting him. She's ready to turn to fight. She hears a snapping sound and a big thud. She turns and just a short distance away, the incredibly large being that was on the table next to Quan is now standing at the foot of that table. The gnome is basically screaming at this point in a language that Mercy doesn't understand. But the creature seems to. A little confused at first, and it looks at the gnome, and it looks at Mercy, and the gnome's pointing at something they can't see beside the table, and you see its big arm go down. His arm, his right arm is almost twice as long as his left arm. Huge arm. Reaches down, and when it comes back up, it's holding this huge double-bladed battle axe. Kind of axe that Darsh would need two hands to wield. This thing is probably about Darsh's height. Maybe a smidge. Probably the same size as Darsh. Darsh has only got height on him because of the horns. If that. You know what I mean? The horns would be the only thing i make him. But headwise, he might be an inch or two taller than Darsh. But Darsh has got an extra foot of horns. Well, in his case, horn. Um, <laughs> but, uh, there's that. Um... But this thing is carrying this huge axe like it's nothing. And it now stumbles forward to swing at Mercy. Lucas immediately grabs Artemis and pulls her out of the way as Mercy dives. This huge axe swings through the air and thunks into the stone or wooden ground, stone ground, whatever it was, I don't remember. And pieces of it break. And Mercy's up. Quan's not moving. They enter combat. Mercy's having to fight this thing, mostly on her own. Artemis tossing some spells when she can. Once Artemis is safe, Lucas then jumps up to run in and help. Uh, So does the other warrior that was up there. Sadly, by the second round of combat, the axe cuts him deeply, and he falls backwards, bleeding. Artemis rushing to him, casting some heal spells, but he's very, very injured. Lucas and Mercy are attempting to fight this monstrosity. And after a couple of rounds, it backs up and stops for a couple seconds and looks back at the gnome like, what should I do? Like, confused. And the gnome is screaming. You tell the gnome is mad and it keeps pointing at them in whatever language it's yelling. You know, you can tell he's saying, kill them, kill them. And it seems Confused. He steps back in, and combat begins again. And he scores a hit or two. Very, very awkward attacks. The thing doesn't seem to be. I mean, it doesn't feel like it's comfortable in its own body. Probably the first time it's used, it. But it does attack. They have spent a lot of time dodging this big axe and getting in the hits that they can. But even the big Mark Mercy's big Morningstar hits kind of bounce off it. Like it may be breaking or hurting it, but it doesn't seem to react very much. A couple more rounds of combat go by and it steps back out of combat again and turns back towards the gnome. Then it turns and looks at Quan on the other table. And it looks confused. Artemis tries casting a spell, tries to see if she can turn it. Is it an undead? What's going on? It then re-enters into combat. As it moves forward... It swings at Lucas... Who dives out of the way... Artemis is yelling... Or sorry... Mercy yells to Artemis... Can you throw a heal at Quan? It's basically what she says... Can you throw a healing spell at Quan? that's the first time... The two ladies have communicated in this battle... They really haven't spoken... They just went into combat... Like they do sometimes... But she speaks... And she says the name Kwan and the creature steps back confused again and looks at her. Mercies, and looks at her and, and in a very deep, poorly uh, barely used voice, says the word Kwan questioningly. Now it has a very deep voice. I'm not going to do the voice every time he talks because it's goofy. But he's got like a, like a very deep Kwan? You know, kind of like that? Like a very deep grind, grindy voice? And it steps back again, confused. Artemis is doing what Mercy says and attempting to throw a heal spell at Quan from across the room. As I've mentioned, I, in 2nd edition, you normally can't do that, but I have house rules that you can, but it only does half the healing. 5th edition uh, doesn't seem to care. I'm still working on that. But 2nd edition, had to touch him for a heal spell, uh, which I think is silly as well. So half the half the heal if you do it at a range. As a, healing, a cleric, her heals are better than normal anyways, so a thrown heal spell for her is almost like a regular heal spell. Just doesn't get all of her perks and bonuses. She casts that spell at Quan. And Quan's eyes open. The big man in front of Mercy stumbles back, almost like he got hit in the head. Stumbles backwards, trips, and falls on his butt on the big table he was sitting on. Which then cracks under his weight. And he kind of just falls to the ground sitting there. Just like someone had hit him over the head with a giant club. The gnome screams in anger, they, they're assuming. Because they still don't know what he's saying. In the moments this was going on, he somehow got a hold of a staff. He's now standing there the staff. And he begins casting a spell at Mercy. Mercy moves forward. But then feels a hand around her leg. Looking down, the warrior they just was with them that just got cut by Artemis. He's okay. But one of the zombies, the other zombie that was hers, has risen. So she already killed the zombies risen. And the other ones are starting to stir. With his staff, he seems to be causing more of them to pop up. So it grabbed her foot. She's trying to pull out of it. But it's got a good grip on her. The other ones come to their feet. Now most of them have lost their weapons, but they're all starting to scramble towards Mer- mercy. Lucas is now in there trying to chop as well, and he wants to get to the to the gnome, but the big dude is still right next to the gnome, and his axe is still in his hand, even if he's sitting on his butt. Sorry, Ron, I don't talk about Sky Factory during these streams. If you want to shoot me a message on uh, Discord, I will reply to you as soon as the stream's over. Uh, but a lot of people who listen to this don't do the Minecraft stuff, so I, I try not to bring that up too much in these streams. But shoot me a message on Discord, and I will uh, talk to you about that as soon as this is over. I appreciate you coming by. Um, but he wants to move forward, but, you know, there's the big guy there. That's a little bit more than even Lucas wants to deal with. Quan... Oh, no, you're fine. You don't, you're don't know you good. No worries, man. Not a problem at all, sir. Um, Quan is... Sitting up now a little bit. He looks very weak. In fact, he looks almost a little gaunt. A little drained, if you will. <laughs> and, uh... He looks very weak. But he manages to get up into a sitting position on this table he's been laying on. The gnome is furious. The lightning outside cackling. Crackling, cackling, whatever you want to say. It's not a witch cackling. You know not I mean. Unleashes a spell at Mercy. Lucas trying to dive in to help because he he cast the spell at Mercy and the zombies that are trying to pile up on top of her. And in that moment Lucas, who's got some zombies on him yells out Artemis is watching the room seeing all this happen. She's not sure what she should do because she's not really a melee person she sees Quan reach out like as if defensively, like, no, don't hit Mercy kind of thing. And as his hand moves up, the big thing, his hand moves the exact same, almost like in unison. And when that happens, the big thing looks at his hand, like, confused, like, why did my hand do that? And And then Quan looks very confused, and he looks at the big thing, and they're just kind of looking at each other for a minute. They're not really saying anything, but they're They're not really moving either. Their hand is still sticking out and they're just looking at each other. The spell that was cast was a flame blast and it cooked a couple of the zombies, but it also did some damage to Mercy. Um, She doesn't have her shield with her and she still has her Morningstar in her hand because she never loses that technically. She's still fighting through these burning zombies now, which is an issue. Lucas manages to get through his and jumps in and starts chopping at some of them in the back to try to get them off Mercy. The gnome, in anger, is screaming at the big thing guy, yelling at him. They can only assume to attack or kill or to do something, but it's just sitting there staring at Quan, and Quan's staring at it, and they're both sitting with their hand out, not moving, and they're just, no words are speaking, they're just looking at each other, very confused. The gnome angrily comes forward, you can see the gnome has a bit of a hobble, a bit of a bum leg, and he raises his... staff and begins casting another spell and he starts spinning it. It looks like it's going to be a big spell. Quan raises his other hand and, and turns and looks at his hands. At the same time he uses and so does the big thing. Then they look at each other. and Quan gets a little bit of a sad smile on his face. And the big thing smiles back. And all they hear is, no, and lifts the axe up and brings it clean down on the gnome right next to him. Head to floor, right through the gnome. Splits him like a banana. The noise that the gnome makes during that moment is quite grotesque. As it gurgles and flops to the ground. The other zombies at that point drop. Oh, hello Patches. How you doing, baby? Sorry, Kitty came to visit. Mercy gathers her weapon. Begins moving towards the large guy. Quan Weekly says, no. Leave him be. Mercy stares at him. The big guy's just now just looking at her. The axe is still sticking in the floor. We're part of the gnome on each side of it. Like it just left the axe there. It's just now just looking, not moving. Still sitting down. Even sitting down, it's five times as high as a gnome. About twice as high as a mercy. Mercy slowly comes around the room and gets to Quan and helps him stand. And he does look very weak. Not just like, like tired, but physically weak he feel, it looks like he's a bit thinner like he's thinned out like he lost 10 pounds Mercy's like what the hell's going on what is it what do we do he's like he's not gonna hurt anybody get back off from him help me stand She does Quan's stuff is on the floor next to him he's basically just in his he's got no shirt on he's just in his pants And he reaches down and he picks up his sword. And he pulls it out. He tosses it on the floor, but he uses the scabbard almost like a bit of a walking cane to try to move forward because he's a little weak and he weighs everybody back. And he goes to stand up right in front of the big guy. And the big guy's looking at him and he's looking at the big guy and they look—they both look slightly confused. And Quan's reaches out and pats the other guy's—the big guy's shoulder—and the guy gets this. this big grin. He's got like weird freaking teeth that are all just smiling. He's got this big really goofy look on his face. So you see, Mercy and Artemis interrupted the spell before it could be finished. Draining Quan's life force to create this behemoth of an undead monstrosity. But it did get a little bit And while they can't necessarily speak telepathically they do sense emotions and feelings from each other. Worry, help, anger, love. Whatever the case would be. They can sense that. And Quan can tell that this being is more confused than anything else. But it's not stupid. And as they stand, as as they're there... Kwan starts talking to it. It starts nodding at what he's saying. And she can tell... Mercy and Artemis, who are now back together... And Artemis is treating Mercy's burns. Could tell that it understands Kwan... Quite much so. Even though it doesn't seem to be replying much. Hey, hey, hey. No, 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 no. Stay away from that. Sorry. Cat problem. So... Not sure what to do. Artemis tells the rest of the guards go down. Make sure there's nothing else in here. Anything that's a body that's not one of ours, burn it. If it's one of ours, set it aside we can make sure it gets home. She then sends another guard out who goes back and gets the rest of their, you know, Flynn and uh, Travis, the mayor, who comes up. Travis is escorted up to the top. Travis walks in the room and sees the big thing and steps back in shock and horror. Partially, because he recognizes parts of it. Quan explains that the figure here, at this point, doesn't want to hurt anybody. There's a half-split gnome next to him, understand this. It's hard to... You're look, Mercy's looking at him like, What? Half a gnome on this side of the axe. Half a gnome on that side of the axe. He doesn't want to hurt anybody. He's been brought alive for several different points, but never enough... The spell was never... You know, had enough life energy, if you will, to to make him fully up and able to move. He's come conscious, but not been able to move within the body several times. Uh, But draining the pure life force from the last... Uh, miscellaneous warrior number three... and then part of Quan... Uh, was enough to basically... kick-start his engines, if you will. But he doesn't want to hurt anybody. He honestly doesn't know... what he wants at this point. He just wants to be left alone. He's got to f- figure things out, if you will. And Quan explains that there's a connection. Like, you know, he doesn't know if it's because of the spell or what... but he goes, I can... you know, I can sense what he's thinking... Approximately, mostly through emotions and flashes. It's not like I don't hear a voice in my head or anything. And you got to understand... When we, ...while we were playing this... ...there was a lot more role-playing going on... ...and interaction between the different characters. And I'm going over this... ...as much as I can remember it without any papers. But at the end of the day... ...the end of this situation... When it's just, ...the storm finally starts to clear out... ...it's still raining, but the thunder kind of moves off... ...and it's turning to morning... It's determined that uh, they're going to leave him here. Travis is not real happy about that. He's like, I don't know how we feel about having this thing, you know, half a day from our village. And Kwan's like, well, this land is not land that you claim. It's technically just on the edge of what is Serenity's land. Um, So Mercy has the authority to claim this tower if she wishes. And Based on Quan's suggestion, she does. He goes, Okay. And he goes, I'm gonna leave him here. There's plenty of food and such stored in here for him to live because whether he needs to eat or not, it's still, you know, that's to be determined. But there's stuff here. Um, leave him here for a time. Quan goes, I'll come back in just a week or two and check on him and try to figure stuff out. And we're just like, I don't know how I feel about you coming back here by yourself. Quan goes, I, tr- I promise you, he's not going to hurt me. I don't think he ever hurt anybody, but he's definitely not going to hurt me. And Quan has a very soft spot for the guy. And sure enough, over the next few weeks and months, Quan comes back quite often, uh, visiting, spending some time with the big guy uh, who looks at Quan like a big brother. Oddly enough, I mean, way smaller than him. But uh, he just he's doesn't he, he doesn't like what people look at him because he's kind of yeah you know, he's mutated right kind of thing. Um, can anybody guess what uh, Quan named him? But he ends up staying up there by himself alone. Quan doesn't want him to be lonely, so Quan comes back and you, know, you know tries to make a trip up there once every month or two. To spend a day or so with him. Teach him more about what's going on... The serenity of the lands around him. Advising him to stay away from Willowind. Right? Stay away from the town. Don't mess with the people there. Sure enough, the thing... It, it does need sustenance. It does eat to maintain. Its body doesn't seem to be decaying. It wasn't that he was trying to create a zombie. He was trying to create a life out of this. And he was relatively successful. A few side effects, of course. But... Uh, this big guy comes to live in this crudely built tower that was built by zombies and a gnome's control. You can imagine it's not the best, right? Um, And his Igor-like sidekick, the half-goblin that was guarding the downstairs. So, yes, Frank, which is his name, ends up living here in the uh, tower uh, moving forward you know, on the very outskirts very edge of the lands of Serenity um, where I want to say once a year kind of thing Mercy will come back and visit as well but mostly it's Quan coming back Quan has a soft spot for the big guy uh, wants to make sure that he's okay cause he's really not a bad guy Just just a bad situation Now, when we went through that, if I had my dang notes, there were some cool things I read. And the combat was a little bit cooler. I'm trying to go off memory at this point. Um, But it's important that this enters into the story because down the road, Frank will make an appearance again. Not a big one, but he's going to make one. So it's important that I told this part of the story before we get to the point where that happens. So you'll wonder, who is this? Uh, but it was a very uh, Frankenstein-themed kind of uh, thing I was going through. Probably most of you figured that out very early on. Uh, they did. It wasn't meant to be a surprise. <laughs> the Headless Horseman, that was a surprise. I kept that one until the end. It was witches and the Headless Horseman. But uh, this one was not meant to be. Uh, they were just supposed to think they had to kill it. So it turning out to be an okay thing that got a little piece of Quan in the transfer. And Quan might have got a little piece of that guy back as well. Something to think about in the future. But anyways, that was what we called the Halloween Doom. because That's what was our nickname for Dungeons and Dragons. We're going to play Doom this weekend. Play Doom on Sunday, Doom on Tuesday, things of that nature. But, um, we still have time to go. We're going to go back to the regular story, but I did want to kind of cover across that one. Um, let me check and make sure everything is up and running before we jump in. I just got a weird... I just got a weird... Notification pop up on YouTube and then four people disappeared. <laughs> so, can't, don't have to tell you there. You don't know if it's a YouTube thing, disconnect people or people got bored. But either way, I'm going to continue with the regular story. Um, but it was important that again that I get that out there because it is going to matter down and is going to matter in the future. Now, as for last week, you'll remember that the last thing that happened, the last thing that happened is that, um, they entered in they all got pulled into the dream again, and right before they did, Thakar, which is the head of the Mage Tower of Serenity. Sorry, I'm petting a kitty, came running in. Hi, baby. Came running in and said, Whatever you do, don't and then they passed out. Because I'm I'm just a slob for, for uh that type of thing. But uh, then they went into the dream where the figure once again tried to torture them. Wanted them to give him something. This time it was an actual box. It's a representative. A representation of what it was. But they had to give it to him. (laughs) Jim and I are still here. And that's the most important. Well, I appreciate that, Smashley. Appreciate that a lot. But, uh. (laughs) And that's not completely wrong. Although, I, this, while this thing has many fans and I it, Jim and Smashley, who do they ask me a lot of questions about this show? Which is cool, because I like that. If you have questions, man, put them down in the comments, or join us on our Discord channel, which you'll find a uh, link to at the top of my website, OnlyDraven.com. Come on and chat with me about Merge Worlds. I love talking about it. So, in this one, the villain thing, whatever it was, the figure, the shadow, the beast, was torturing loved ones. And then they realized that the loved ones, Dandy actually figured out that the loved ones weren't actually real. They were just imaginations because they were just part of the dream. And as such ended ended up leaving the dream. And then they all kind of, they wake up at the end of it. But that's where we left off, right? So we are going to continue with that now. All right, so, sure enough, Dandy, Michael, making their way to Cronair. That's where they were going when the dream happened. They barely got into the water. At the same time, Darsh is returning from last week's adventure where he squished a whole bunch of pirates uh, and took a big chunk out of the Black Horn, the evil minotaur group that uh, work against the uh, Emperor of Cronair. Getting himself a new third ship in the bargain. Hey, hey. Uh, but they end up, they're heading back to Kroniar as well. Well, it's going to take a while. It took them a while to get out where they were. Now they're limping back with this uh, somewhat busted up ship. <laughs> I need some repairs uh, to get back to where they were going. So, whenever when they wake up, sure enough, everybody's there. You know, Artemis and Mercy were... In the same room. They did that on purpose. Lucas was there. I believe Draven was back. I want to say Draven was back. I'm pretty sure Draven was back. But he was there. And Thakar is there as well. Uh, They've been unconscious for eight hours. Which is exactly how long they're out every time. Almost exactly eight hours. And they wake up. And they feel tired. Like they've been awake for days. Um, When in fact they were unconscious for eight hours. They did not get any actual rest during that. Everyone is relieved to see them once again come out of the dream. And they begin to ask questions like, hey, what what was it you were going to say? In fact, I was like, listen, I can't, no, stop. You need to tell me exactly what happened as much as you can remember word for word. He goes, no one here can say anything. I, I, can't, I can't take the chance that anybody says or does anything that confuses you or makes you, I need to know exactly what happened word for word. As best as you all can remember. Artemis and Mercy begin telling the story. And everybody's bummed out to hear what they had to go through. Like, they hear the stories, but this time they're going to way more detail, uh, which bums them out. Well, now, none of the people here were, you know, being tortured, I don't believe. Let me see. Um, what was it? Yes, Flynn. Sasha, Weber and Tevin. So Tevin's the only one here, I believe, that actually was on the wall. And he's like, I was awake. It wasn't me. I'm like, yeah, we realized it wasn't you. They tell the whole story. And as they get to the end of it, right, they, when it's all finished, the car's like, okay, yes, that's kind of what I expected. All right, that's, that's what I was looking for. I'm glad you figured that out. Because what I wanted to tell you is Whatever information you give, whatever, whatever you give in the dream, you're literally giving to that whatever it is, whoever it is that's trying to get something from you. I don't believe it's something physical. He wants something that you. He wants something, whether it be a magic or whether it be something. He wants something that you can give him through speaking or through mental or what. The physical representations in the dream are just that. They're representations. Um, And the more you say, the more you do, the more you give out in these, the more you are likely giving this person, A, closer to what they want, or B, more ways to use the dreams against you in the future. Now, he had been in contact with the tower in Paxable, where he was also able to let them know that, yes, Dandy was there asking questions as well. Which they all knew. They'd all talked on the little ball globe things. Crystal the balls they've got. But, when they, you know, that the research there, they'd found something called the Nightmare Circlet. If you remember, I said that last time. The Nightmare Circlet was supposedly used by the Nightmare Lord on the dreamscape, but they don't know much more than that. His discussion with the head of the uh, mages in Paxual, uh, they both concurred the same thing. Yes, we believe that it was uh, whatever, whoever is doing this is using the Nightmare Circlet to basically enter into your dreams. You have something they want. Whether it's a piece of knowledge or some like magic spell word or some type of password to a lock, I don't know. But they want something. And based on how much you know, we got we, I, he goes, I can't tell you who that is. I don't have any way of finding that out. But whoever it is is somebody who would obviously, A, want something you have, B, be powerful enough to use magic of this level, which is high, three, would have to know you all well enough to know that you're a group of friends and that you four would have this knowledge because whoever it is, is targeting you four specifically. They have to know you know it. And on top of it, somebody that has to know a whole lot about you all, has to know about your lives, has to know about things, would have to have the ability to get a lot of information on you, and probably hate you a lot. I mean, I can only assume based on what they're willing to do in the dreams, that they hate you an awful lot. Do you have any idea who this might be? A couple people came to their minds. Young ladies who play these characters. The first one, of course, would be... Nilat Firemoon, but he's dead. Potentially. Draven's brother. Also dead. Powerful enough to use magic of that level be able to find out that much about them. And that really only left one other person. And boy is Mercy angry. The Emperor of Oramon. High Priest of Pandora. Definitely powerful enough. He's very powerful in magic. Cleric magic nonetheless. But magic. Knows a, a ton about them, especially Mercy and Darsh. I mean, to be honest with you, there's a whole chunk of their life they don't really remember other than torture. Who knows how much information they got? They, they like to think that they wouldn't have given anything, but who knows what magic may have made them give out, you know? I mean, know all about all of them just from what happened to Mercy and Darsh. What he wants, though, that's the confusing thing. I'm not sure. What could they know that he doesn't, but that they would want to know, or that he would want to know? But they have no doubt in their minds that at this point, because uh, it, you know, unless it was a brand new bad guy, but it wasn't, <laughs> that it was the emperor of Ormon, Or, you know, someone representing him, you know, like uh, Lomar of the Nine, you know, his, his other head cleric, it's actually technically the head of the church. Someone from Ormon. So this puts them in a bit of a spot. So now they also have to figure out, okay, well, A, we have to figure out what he wants without letting him know we know what he wants. Because then if he knows, if we know what it is, then he might know in the dream. How confusing is that? And they ask the guy, they're like, well, why doesn't he just ask us the question? Why doesn't he ask us what it is specifically? He never has said what it is. And Thakkar goes, I, I assume that if he, the same the same is reverse the same thing as his, if he tells you what that is, you then have that knowledge, you might be easier to hide it or fight back against him if you knew what it was you were fighting against. This is my guess, he goes, that's all I could think. At this point. But if you willingly let him have access to whatever. You let him Give him the answer he wants. Um, basically let him read your mind and take the thing he needs. He might very well be telling the truth. He might leave you alone at that point. Have no more need for you. It may end. He goes, so I mean. That is something I think that you definitely. Not saying you should do. But one of those things that should be on the table. It's something to consider. Because you know. Head of serenity. You're a queen. Isn't that. I know you don't want them running through your brain, but you also don't want to keep doing this. Each time you come out of this, you guys are more tired, you're more weak, you feel more broken down. I don't know how, 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 how many times this could happen before you actually start physically getting uh, reactions to this. But they know at that point that they have, if all goes as normal, seven more days before this happens again. So they have seven days to figure it out. What they need to do. So over that next seven days, this is what happens. Mercy sends more guards to the front. The front being the border of Ormond. On the off chance, the whole thing with the ambassador was a ruse to try to get more information somehow to be a part of this. She doesn't know. Is this a way to weaken her so they can attack easier? Doesn't know. But she's going to send Kwan and a couple more of the knights out there. She wants several of them out there taking a bunch of guards out there and being prepared to defend if they can. If they can get any knowledge. Kwan is going to do his best to sneak into Ormon a little bit. Not that far. He's going to do his best to kind of sneak in. But he talks to Mercy that as much as he hates the thought of it it's, it's at a point now where He may need help. He may need other people who can help him find out things like this. Basically, be spies. But they'd have to be people that could be good spies. They can't be just spies because, you know, if everybody knows they're a spy, Mercy's like, that's something he is going to have to talk about with her. But he's going to need some help. He can't do it by himself at this point. The border area is just too big, and there's just too much danger there. Mercy agrees, and that's something they're going to discuss over the next week. Over that next week, they decide that he's going to find some people who will basically work for him, and only Mercy and he are going to know who they are, and Ulrich. Those are the only three people who are going to know who they are. They're going to be regular people, have regular lives, do regular things, but be in situations where they may have to occasionally go away for a while. You know, maybe they're a traveling salesman. Maybe they're a, a logger or a huntsman who goes out in the woods trapping for them. Things that them been, been gone for several weeks wouldn't seem unusual. Things that can be explained that way. So that way their job working under Quan um, can be easier hidden. So they can't be targeted. So if it's, if, it's, if they know, then Ormon spies, spies may find out. You know, and they don't want that either. So... At this point, Mercy had several... Her military was broken into several different regards. There was... Uh, in fact, I've got the list. I've got the list. So she had opened up several different... Things. Um, basically, there was Arrow Company, Spear Company, Shield Company, d- d- based on the different type of whether it was um, a cavalry, whether it was infantry, you know what I mean? Whether it was archers. They had different branches and each knight, each one of her knights was technically the over that branch. Even though they had all their other duties, that was the branch that they're over. Quan is going to step, he's still going to do his, but he's going to have this other group of people. They're basically spies that work for Serenity. She's going to call them Shadow Company. So basically, sh- Shadows of Serenity. People that no one knows, even the people in their lives don't know that they are technically a spy for Serenity. Some of them will be long-term spies. Maybe they'll go to Oramon and try to live there and live their lives. People that aren't wizards, you know, people that aren't known celebrities. Because, you know, they have a habit of knowing when wizards start walking around. But just a regular Joe, go there, maybe, maybe start dealing with that. They hate to have to take that point. They don't want to do that step, but at this point, with as big of a threat as Oramon is, um, they decide that's something they're going to have to do. So, Mercy and Quan start looking for people that they're going to bring into what Quan is going to know as Shadow Company. That only a few people are even going to know that exists, but most of the people aren't going to know who they are. But the only people that do, Quan, Mercy, and Ulrich. Because, you know, if one of them falls unconscious or away from home, and someone shows up and says, hi, I'm from Shadow Company, there's a threat coming. Somebody needs to verify, okay, yes, this person is actually one of them. You know, there has to be something. But at the same time, they can't wear stuff, can't all have a secret tattoo that could be findable, you know. So that's something that uh, that Mercy, young lady playing Mercy, wanted to bring into that, something she wanted to create. And I thought that was a good idea, so she worked on that. During the seven days, Draven gets caught up on the whole story. He finds everything that's going on, real not happy about it. Again, Dandy's on her way to Crone AR, so is Darsh and they know that he now, you know, through the dream and or through the the glass balls, they all get together and chat about what they know and they all are like, yeah, okay, it totally makes sense. Ormon, that makes sense. And they uh you know, they they chat about what's going on and what they need to. Dandy and Darsh are like, hey, I'm going to Crone AR too, cool, we'll meet there. Uh, Dandy is very possible may make it to Crone AR before Darsh does. We're pretty close, because she's closer technically. And Mercy is going to work with Thakar at the Mage Tower to see what they can find out about this. So, the rest of the week was mostly just preparation. They got through a little role-playing, deal with some of their NPCs. Um, Mercy got to work a little bit more on the security. Now that... I mean, Ormon was always a threat, but now that knowing that something active is going on, um, that's almost active war. I mean, that basically is, you know? So, Mercy's basically on high alert and trying to figure out, w- out what she can do to increase... Uh, the security and the military of Serenity. Something that she's working on. Artemis, at the same time, reaches out to people and the clerics and such to see if they can find anything out. Talk to different clerics, of different faiths If they've ever heard of anything with a nightmare circuit. And it is just a couple of days before, on day five before the next dream, when Thakar finally has some information. And he kind of sets Mercy and Artemis down. She goes to the temple. They're all kind of hanging at the temple. Because Lucas is not letting Artemis out of the temple right now. It's just not an option. So... <laughs> Draven's okay with that too. He's, they're both there. Uh, so Mercy and... Uh, the car go and meet her there. He says that... There is a very powerful spell... That he's found... Knowledge of... That could very well let... someone enter into the dreamscape. If that's even possible. Merge Worlds has messed up everything. Um, and for the longest time... Merge Worlds was locked off... from every other world... and every other plane of existence. Remember, Merge Worlds is its own plane of existence. It's like almost a, another... It's it's not the prime material plane... which is what you call regular reality... basically, where our plane of existence... But it's mirrored much like it in its overall um, design, but crazily. Multiple suns and stars, the way the, the plane works. But it is of that nature. So, technically, the realm gates, which they use to port around from place to place to place, the mages believe also could be used to go to different planes, although they just haven't quite figured out how yet. But it's a hypothesis that the Mage Towers... The Brotherhood of Magic has been working on for a while... That these portals serve multiple different functions. And if that's true... Technically, they should be able to be used to go to the dreamscape. Um, Which is, in itself... Another plane of existence. He's like, I have found knowledge... And I found only one mage... Who knows how to cast this spell? It is a very powerful spell and it is very dangerous because, if done incorrectly, your souls could be lost to the dreamscape forever. But it is possible if she'll cast the spell. And they're like, okay, cool. Who is it? We'll ask. Is it Lamia? Tell us it's Lamia because they were expecting it to be Lamia. Mm-mm. Her name is Karina. Karina the Black Wind. Uh, She is an older mage. Who's been part of the Brotherhood for since shortly after the merge happened. Um, No one quite knows exactly where she lives, but definitely we have ways of reaching her. Um, Although most of us don't do it that often. Mercy and Arm is like, this does not sound good. Why does this not sound good? They're like, well... Karina the Black... Um... Okay. Sorry. Kidding me out. Karina the Black... Uh... Not the nicest of people. Um... In fact, I've never met a mage quite as evil as she is. Uh... For all intents and purposes, she is definitely a dark sorceress. Um... But she is a member of the Brotherhood. She's not required to do this. But if we could offer her something in return then she might be willing to do that. Like, What would she want? She goes, I don't know. We can only ask her. I've sent a message asking her to come here. Giving her a brief outlet of what's going on and what we need. And if it's something that she will entertain doing Please come and let us know. We'll see. He goes, I I sent this a day or so ago. I received a message. She'll be arriving tomorrow. Which is day six. Which is just the day before... The last day before you have. And they're like, okay, well that's... That's something. We'll take it. The best we can do. The next day they're to meet at the Mage Tower. Because Karina will only meet them at the Mage Tower. So Lucas and Draven have to make arrangements. Um... Draven, even though when Artemis leaves the tower, she doesn't like, go with Draven, Draven's never far. You may not see him, he's not that far, which Lucas genuinely finds comforting, knowing that no matter where I am right now, I know he can see me, which is creepy, but he can also see her, which is great. Lucas and, and Draven have not had a problem. Ever since, you know, these things have happened, and, and I mean, he's not a big fan of how he you know, Draven snuck her out and, and kidnapped her the first time, but other than that, he's okay with him. Um, So they're in a, in a room waiting with in the car, uh, hanging out, and, and a, a younger mage comes after they've been sitting there a little while chatting and says that she's arrived, and she's, she comes in. Karina the Black Wind. Um. It takes everything Artemis has not to slightly gasp. Because Karina is an elf. A female elf. Well, she was. Kind of is. It's hard to tell. Uh, Karina has no hair. Uh, Karina looks ancient. In fact, Artemis would say she's the oldest looking elf she's ever seen. Uh, her, she's very thin. <laughs> Leave that's yerbs renewal. <laughs> Sorry about that. Anytime uh, a membership renews midstream, it uh, it automatically pops it up as a notification. So a little bit of a surprise there. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, I will verify. Yes. So uh, clearly old, probably several thousand years old. Artemis would say, To she looks, because she doesn't, it's also possible that maybe something magical has caused this, but just looking at her, she would say, this is the oldest elf she's ever seen. And she comes in, and she slow, and shuffles in, not like super slow, but she's obviously a bit slower, and she has a, a her staff, and on the end of the staff appears to be a skull of some type of animal, and its eyes glow with like a purple hue, kind of unsettling. But she comes in leaning heavily on her staff. And she's she's actually a little tall, even as an elf. She's probably at close to six feet. At least when she you know, she stood up straight. She's kinda of hunched over now. But she's tall. And she sits down, of course, right across from Artemis. Right? Artemis, who's incredibly attractive elf. Young elf, you know. Epitome of good. Opposite. And Artemis is being smiling and being friendly, trying to be as positive as she can here. Doesn't want to you know, act shock And Karina just kind of snorts. You know, and it's like, hurt your eyes, do I, child? Well, maybe one day you'll be lucky enough to live like I do. You should happen to live that long. Though, from what I've heard, in the situations you put yourself in with your friends, I would be surprised. Dakar tells me that you... Want to enter the dreamscape, which in itself is an incredibly foolhardy thing to want to do. It's stupid. Most people would never survive in there. The car assures me, if anybody can, it's you. And from what I've learned, it's possible. Clearly you have reason to. I know well the nightmare circlet. I know what it's capable of. While I've not held it in my hands nor seen it in person, no mortal should... It should rest on the brow of the Nightmare Lord and that's where it's supposed to be. So how it ended up on this plane in the hands of a mortal is more unsettling to me than anything else. But it is within my ability to move you into a way to enter the dreamscape. The dreamscape itself is odd. It's not normal. It's definitely different than the planes you've been on before and this one that we find ourselves on now. But if I can take you consciously into a dream, speaking with the car, what we believe, you would then be able to use one of the realm gates, as long as you have a key, which you do, I'm told. You could technically unlock and use the portal as a way to travel to the dreamscape. Now, if you foolishly decide to do that, come here. here. you go. I got you. Foolishly decide to do that, it's within my power, but it's not an easy spell to cast. And I'm going to be honest, there will be quite a bit of sacrifice on my part to have to do so. Both in the amount of power I'm going to have to expend, incredibly valuable spell components that'll be needed to do something of this nature. It is within my ability. But it's expensive. Artemis is like, okay. Mercy's like, okay. What do you want? What's this going to cost? She goes, well, first, you'll need to recoup the cost of the spell components, which I tell you again, incredibly expensive. And Thicar is going to have no problem easily, or no problem, just t- you know, verifying the, the value of these. Uh, no less than 25,000 gold worth of spell components. The guard looks at her and goes, really? She just turns and names off a couple things he, they've never heard of, and he's like, oh, well, he looked at like, yeah, it, it, yeah, it's it's expensive components. And we have some of, access to some of them here, and Karina says she has the rest, but she'll want recouped for that. Mercy's like, done. Karina's like, well, That kind of money to throw around. Excellent. Secondly, I'd like access to the temple. Surprisingly, as it may seem, I too worship a god. God of magic deserves to... His worship. My life exists because of him. I would like to be able to, on occasion, at will, that I should wish to, be able to give thanks and prayers to him in a place that he would find... Acceptable, and while recently you'll remember Jakar had asked Mercy and them if they could start doing their same kind of thing. They still worship a god. Well, they can do it in the Mage Tower. Doing it in a church still has a little bit of an effect. Artemis is like, okay, I can. That's fine. She seemed a little surprised by that. She kind of expected, because in most elves don't like the thought of an evil elf for a fallen elf, which in some worlds are called the Dark Elf, which is very different than Drow, which are known as Dark Elves. Some worlds, Dark Elves just mean a fallen elf, an elf that's turned into darkness. And most good elves don't want to be around them. And she goes, and there are certain things that I would like to have access to um, that I believe you'll be able to procure for me. Elven goods, such as wines and cloths and things. It's my understanding that you have Access to the Elven kingdom of Santroiel. I'm sure you understand I am not welcome there, but there are things of my youth I would like to have access to again. And it turns out you may be one of the few people that can do that. Artemis is like, okay, we can do that. I'm I'll get you like wine and yeah, I can do that. And she can do that, she knows she can get that through Darsh. They don't really have a way in there themselves, but they can get it shipped up here. It may take a while. He smiles, turns to Mercy, and she goes, I would like to come to live here at the tower, which means I will be, you know, at times wish to move amongst the city. Am I welcome in serenity? Mercy's like, yes. Mercy's waiting for a hammer to drop here. Yes, excellent. And there will very likely come a time that I may need your assistance in maybe procuring some spell components and things that aren't easy to get a hold of. Now, I would never ask you to do anything against your morals or ethics, but uh, if you were to find or come across anything that would be considered rare or valuable, you would bring them to me first. The car does not look really happy about that, because normally they would bring them to the tower. Mercy looks at the car, and the car's like nodding, like, okay. It's like, that's fine. We can do that. If the car's okay with that, I'm okay with that. She's like, excellent. How often are the dream cycles? I'm assuming seven days? She said... And they go, yes, every seven days. What day are we on? He goes, six. He goes, it's not enough time. You're going to have to dream again. You're going to need all seven days in the dreamscape if you hope to have any hope of taking... of, of freeing yourself from the, the effects of, of, of the nightmare circle. There are things you will have to do there. And you're going to need all the time, which means... You're going to have to go through the dream again, and we're going to have to cast the spell the day you awaken, which means you'll be going in tired. But it's the best chance you have of having enough time. And they're like, okay. They're like, well, I guess I mean, we've been through it this many times. And she's like, "Uh, don't just shake them off. You've been lucky. You've survived these. It's possible these could kill you. They're draining your life every time it happens. It's weakening you more and more. And there's the chance that he may somehow break you down and get what he wants. Strong as you think you are, it's not the same in the dream world. But when you're in the dreamscape in his dreams, you're literally that. He, you're being summoned by him. I, there's no way for you to get access to freedom in the dreamscape if he's pulling you in with a nightmare circle. My spell should do that. They say, should? She goes, well, I've never done it myself. But yes, I have known the spell for many, many years. Many, many years. So basically, we're gonna put them in astral dream form. They will then go to the portal, use the portal into the dreamscape. They will then have less than seven well, seven days. Because if he pulls them in while they're in there, they're in a world of hurt. There are basically two things that they have to do. Number one, they're going to, if they can break the circlet. The circlet is a physical item. It exists in the waking world. But if you could break it on the dream version of it, he won't be able to use it again. Somebody else might. But I assure you, it's it takes quite a powerful being to be able to do this. This emperor has access to very powerful magics. He would not be able to do so again. And... If he's anything like what I think he is, the last thing he's going to do is give that kind of power to someone else who could then pull him in. And that's not something he'd be really pretty happy about either. If you can break the circlet in the dream, he won't be able to use it again. The second thing is you need to find the dream link. There is something there in the dream world, a representation of the four of you. It may be one thing, it may be one for each of you. That I don't know, and I don't know what it is, but it's, a, it's what links you. It's what he's using to find you and to pull you to him in the dreams. You need to find that, and you need to break it as well. Or kill it, or burn it, or whatever it is, you need to destroy it. If you do that, the circlet... Oh, no, Bubby. Hold on. Sorry, bud. No, no. Sorry. Got it. All the kitties are sneaking in here wanting their treats. Uh, he goes, if you can do that, then the circlet won't be able to do, pull you into the dream anymore. The circlet creates that link with the person. And again, he would have to know and have something of you to do that. To be able to create that link, he has to have something representing you from our world. Something physical. Something you've worn. Something you've held. Something you've, you know, your blood. Something of each of you to have even done this. And that represents a link in the world. If you break it in there, then it'll destroy it in the real world as well. So, or in the waking world, I should say. So, if you can do those two things in the six days, seven days, technically, then you, you'll you be free of this man and the, and the dream circle it again. But I warn you, sorry, buddy, if you were to die in the dream world, I can't promise you'd wake up. You may just be stuck there. I don't know any way to bring you back because Your body would just come into a permanent coma-like state here, and I know no way to get your your back. If you die there, your, your link to your body dies, and you don't have any way of coming back. I know of no way to do it. The gate won't work for you. So that's the gamble that you take. Are you willing to take that chance? And of course, our characters said they are. So he goes, then tell your friends. I will make the preparations. And I will tell you what you need to tell them. You will have to go into the dream again. When he pulls you in. Survive it. And if you make it back out. We'll cast the spell the next day. I'll begin making the preparations. Agreement is set. This is what happens. <clears throat> so they make what. They, they explain what's going to go on to Draven and uh, Lucas, and nobody's happy about this. Ulrich, who's back, nobody's happy about this. But it's the only thing that they know of. And there's no way to send other people at this point. She goes, no, I can send you four because you're linked to this. You'll be able to find your way to it. Traveling in the dreamscape is odd. If you've ever been in a dream and tried to go from one place to another, you'll know it's not easy. Dreamscape's the same, but you can go to familiar places. If you think hard enough about a familiar place, you'll go there. You'll take you there. You're, you're walking, and you think of your old elementary school. You'll walk into your old element. and that, that happens. These places exist, but not physically. Like There's no map. You know what I mean? I want to go to that location, and I was a student at that school, and you were going there. We could be coming from deep directions. We'll still end up at the same place. The representation that is that place. I can assure you, you'll need to you'll need to go to Orimon, and I'm told that, you know, two of you have been there, and that's Darshan, that's Mercy. Of course, they have. As long as you're holding on to the other two that haven't, and you concentrate enough, you'll be able to find Orimon. Though it may not be the Orimon you remember, you'll need to make your way into that. He will, of course, have created defenses. The dreamscape uh, will magnify his thoughts that way and allow him to defend himself while wearing the circlet. Um, So you may find it challenging. But there is a way. No matter how much you may want to block it off completely, the dream circle doesn't work like that. There's always a way through. You just have to find it. And they're like, okay, so what? So the next day goes by, and they're preparing to lay down again to have their seventh-day dream. What they're hoping is the last time. Before they're able to go into the dreamscape... And defeat the Emperor. Once again... Artemis and Mercy are laying down together. Darsh is on his boat. They're almost at Kroniar. They may even get there while he's sleeping. Uh, They're very, very close. Dandy is already there. But they... She's been there for like a day. Half a day. But they're... Everybody's preparing themselves. They got their loved ones. People around them that they have to watch them. And sure enough, just as normal... They go through. But this time with a little bit more knowledge. And a little bit more ammunition. Of how to protect themselves. Because Karina knows a lot about the dream circlet. Though she doesn't quite say why. But they all fall asleep. And we will finish today. With tonight's dream. That's how I like to end these things. Mercy awakens once again. In her comfortable bed. The familiar pillows are soft and comforting. It was one of Mercy's favorite places in the world, but it didn't feel right. Something nagged at her, something she was supposed to remember. Mercy quickly jumps out of bed, willing her morning star to her hand, took every ounce of self-control she had not to lash out at the man sitting in her chair across the room, only a few feet away. Greetings again, Lady Mercy, says Marcus Donbringer, Emperor of Ormond. Artemis awakens in her bed. Stretching, she sits up and yawns. Wrapping her robe around her, she steps over over to her son's crib. Panic shocks her fully awake as she finds the child's bed empty. She quickly runs into the next room, central area of her chambers, but comes to a halt when she sees the man lounging on her couch. Though she had never seen him before, he had been described to her by mercy many, many times. She knew instantly who he was. "'Greetings, Lady Artemis,' says the Emperor. "'I've been looking forward to meeting you for quite some time.'" Darsh awakens in his bed. He sees he is alone, can only assume Lyra is already awoken. Standing, Darsh yawns and makes his way to his office. "'You want to check in a document before going downstairs to find something to eat.'" Darsh opens the door to his study and is shocked to see a human sitting at his desk, the human that was all too familiar. Greetings again, Sir Darce, said the Emperor, smiling. Dandy awoke in her bed, on the Miss dandelion. Looking around her cabin, she saw she was alone. She sat up and rubbed the sleep from her eyes. Dressing, she makes her way on deck to see if Lyman had any breakfast made. But when she does, it wasn't Lyman standing on the deck before her. It was—it wasn't her Michael either. It was a tall human man in regal-looking armor. Even though she'd never met him, she knew who he was. "Hello there, little dandelion," said the Emperor of Oramon. So in this dream, they're not together. They're all separate. Each one awakens in a familiar place, in their own comfortable bed, to find the, or- the emperor there. The emperor, at this point. Now that they know who he is, they bring that knowledge in with them. He has no reason to hide. Probably may not be happy about that, but he figured that they'd figure it out eventually. He's no fool. He knows how smart they are. In each of the dream areas that they're in, they're in a different place. Like, literally, Darsh is in his house. Mercy's in her bedroom. Artemis is in her bedroom. Dandy's on a boat. She sees ocean, you know. I mean, they're they're in those places. 100% Realistic. The only difference is the sky is that purplish, huey, wavy thing that's been in each of their dreams. In each of their dreams, they all can see that the Emperor is wearing the Dream Skate Circle. It's a platinum band. It goes all the way around and it has a gem in the center that seems to swirl with the same purpley color as the sky. And he basically says, now that they know who he was there's no reason for him to hide who he is he begins to t- he begins he sits down and he's just comfortably talking to them they want to draw their weapons and attack but they got to wait they've been warned everything they bring into this dream they give him ammunition everything they do or say could potentially help them they need to keep their actions to a minimum even fighting could teach him ways about how they fight that he may not know they instinctively run down and pull up that one magical dagger, he now knows they have a magical dagger. These are the things that he's been learning through a lot of these different dream scenarios he's been putting them in. What they have, how they fight, how they work together, what powers and abilities do they have at their disposal. He begins to explain to all of them, basically the conversation's mostly the same across the dreams. He explains that each time that this dream happens, he's able to break further and further into their mind learning more and more about them. And eventually, he'll know everything that they know, all of their secrets. Because I'm going to be honest with you, because I'll, at this point, I've no reason to lie. I entered into your dreams with the specific intent. There is a piece of knowledge that one or more of you has. I don't know which one. Frankly, I don't care. One or all of you knows something that I need to know. Now, I'm not going to foolishly believe that you're just going to tell me straight out, obviously. But I will tell you this. Once I have what I want, I won't be able to enter your dream again. That's the magic of the circlet. When I created the link and I came in here, I came in with a specific person purpose, a specific need, and that set us on this path. So once I have what I want, I can't come back at you even if I want to. In fact, giving me the information that I need is the only thing that can protect you from me in the circle. Doesn't mean I can't use the circle on other people, but I will no longer be able to use them on you. If you give me what I'm asking... You give me access to the memories and the thoughts and let me have the thing that I need. I will leave you in peace. And I mean that. No more trouble between our kingdoms. No more troubles with the southern kingdoms. No more attacks on serenity. It all ends. I will have no need of you, any of you, ever again. Give it to me and you'll be free of me forever. but let me explain what happens if you don't. In each of their dreams, the surroundings begin to swirl and change and they find themselves seeing places and locations and people. These scenes are flashing kind of in front of them. In Dandy's dream, she sees visions of Michael being literally stabbed and killed by Oromanian elites. She sees Weber's place, the building in Paxwell burning, his screams coming from inside. She sees her ship, the Miss Dandelion, slowly sinking, Lyman nailed to the mast as it sinks below the water. She sees Serenity burning, Artemis and Mercy crucified on the road leading to the city, and Darsh and his family slain along with all the rest of the members of his ship just laying on the ship as it floats out into the ocean. In Darsha's vision, he sees his family slain and his home and ships all on fire. He sees his islands destroyed, everything he's built burned, the bodies of all the people living there littering the beaches and floating in the water. He sees Dandy and Michael their little ship, the Miss crashed upon the rocks, sharks swimming as they sink and blood fills the water. She sees serenity burning, Mercy, Ulrich, and the rest of her knights, their heads on spikes leading up the road to the city. And Artemis' room is just empty. Nothing there. Here's a whisper in his ears that the Emperor will be enjoying her personally. In Artemis' dream, the temple is destroyed. Draven, laying on the altar, spiked through the heart as his b- life leaks from him. The clerics, throughout the temple and across the yards, tortured and slain. Lucas and Molly, dead. Molly works out. Kelvin, hung by his own thorny branches in the garden. Mercy and her knights slain as her castle burns. Darsh's head nailed to the mast of the, of the chimera, sunking on a small island, beached and destroyed. Dandy and Michael, tied to trees, being eaten by the dead that they so often hunt. And Seraph, standing next to the emperor as a young man, saying, who is that person, father? As he puts his arm around the young lad. And in Mercy's dream, again, sees her knights slain across the battlefield, bodies burned, serenity destroyed like an explosion from within the castle. Artemis' temple is destroyed, again, the tortured and dead clerics everywhere. And in Artemis' room, finding both her and Seraph dead together in bed. Darsh's islands are destroyed, and again, Darsh's body, laying across a rock as a warning to any who should come near, with the chimera burning in the background. Dandy and Michael, dead in their house in Serenity, tossed in their own fireplace. The Emperor then brings them back and they're all standing in the locations they were originally. Dandy on the boat, Artemis in her living room, Mercy in her bedroom, Darsh, where was Darsh? Oh yeah, his house. He looks and goes. All of these things are within my power, you know this. My army, my military, it just dwarfs the capabilities of the entire Seven Kingdoms. Should I throw all my force at you, I'm not trying to take the kingdoms, Paxwell, bypassing that all and just coming at you? There's not a force you have access to that could stop that. Everything I've shown you can come to pass if you don't give me what I need. I may not be able to take the Southern Kingdoms, but I don't care. If I can't have what I want, I have nothing else to lose. Again, give me what I ask, and it'll all be over. Your friends, loved ones, all safe. You shall never see nor hear of me ever again. But if you deny my request, I will bring you back into this dream every seven days, each time making you weaker and gaining more and more access to who you are and what you know and everything that makes you you until I control you. I bet they didn't tell you that part, did they? Let me show you what I can do. And in each dream, he steps forward, reaching out, takes their hand. They find themselves unable to stop. They can't move, They're helpless, their hands being lifted up in front of them. In his hand appears a very decorative and sharp blade, a knife, dagger of some kind. And he reaches down and he cuts their hand. Give me what I want, or all you love will be destroyed. As he says that, everything around him goes darker, till really all they can see are his burning eyes. Give me what I want, or you will die. They find themselves all awakened. It's been eight hours, their loved ones around. Each one of them immediately looking to find a deep cut in the palm of their left hand. Friends, shocked, unknowing how that could have happened. They've been laying there, not moving for the last eight hours. And that's where we'll stop for today. Right at 10.30. Pretty cool. All right, so... What does this mean? So we have probably... Two... Maybe... Three episodes... Of this storyline left, for good or bad. Then we start working into something very cool. I have so much cool things for you. We still have so much of this book left, and then I have another book after this one. I think another book after that. At least one more book after this one. <laughs> and then we have all the story that's in my head I've never actually got to write down, which I've started writing down. So we leave today. That was the fifth dream cycle, I believe. I'm reading my notes correctly. uh, Which means that they will be casting a spell that day when they wake up. And they will have seven days to defeat the Emperor in the dreamscape in order to end this nightmare. Lest they be caught. And he gains everything that he wanted. Uh, This concept, the whole dreamscape thing to me, I'll be honest, I have no idea where it came from. It started with the dreams. I mean, the dreamscape thing actually came later. Something attacking them during their dreams, trying to get information. That's, that's what I, I, I thought of first. I know that. And that was the basis of this. I knew what it was going to be or who in this situation from the beginning. And I, of course, know what he wants. Although, you don't. Hell, they don't. <laughs> I'm a rebel like that. But um, I don't remember exactly where the dreamscape idea came from. Uh, The Nightmare Circlet was what he was always meant to use to be able to do that. Um, But I can't remember what inspired the dreamscape. I was trying to think of it for the last couple of days... And I cannot for the life of me remember where I came up with that idea. Maybe it just hit me. I don't know. But uh, it was an interesting thing. And it's also the second plane of existence beyond Merge Worlds that they'll be entering. Because technically the Sands is also another plane. It is possible to go to other planes of existence... Um, The Sands was the first one they visited. This is a second. And there are many different planes of existence. Most of them they would not survive in... But a few minutes. But I'm excited... To... uh, At least there are different outcomes. That's true. That's true. I will... uh, I will tell you this. In the next... Episode... For sure potentially two, we are going to be entering into um, a relatively elaborate dungeon that I created for them to play through. Um, and I've not actually had to go through many dungeons and explain those to you. The only one I can remember really is the Thieves dungeon that they went through to get the Crystal Dagger back when they were traveling with Draven. And then there was the mini Pirate dungeon to get the Pirate Lich that was underneath of Darchtopia. Uh But As far as dungeons go, maybe the thing they did in Serenity with the big undead stuff before they wiped out the temple with Artemis' big spell. That might have counted. That probably counts as one. This one is more elaborate than all of those. Um, This one took several play sessions to go through um, because some of them are puzzles. (laughs) Many of them are puzzles. Some of them are not. But um, I'm excited to actually... show you guys some of those things. I have maps and diagrams and such from all the puzzles uh, that I have, and I get to go into a lot more detail than I normally get to go through with you guys for that stuff. Mosquito. Um, And I'm excited about that, because some people have asked for a little more of that. Uh, I will try not to dwell on it too much for those people who don't want to see it, but um, I can tell you how some of the puzzles work as they get through them, how they figured them out, and what they were based on. So I'm excited to get to share that with you guys. Uh, but that'll be n- next Thursday. Um, same fat time, same fat channel. Uh, Eight o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Next Thursday, we'll be doing the next episode of this. And I can tell you, once we finish this chapter, this series, the next chapter, because uh, I keep like I like to promise these things, to you guys. I like to tease them. Um, has some very important new, potentially young characters that will be popping out. And I'm excited to to see a few of them. But, that said, thank you all for coming today. I appreciate it. Uh, if you had a good time, please remember to click like. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to come back and hang out again. If you're watching this later or listening to this later on iTunes or Spotify, uh, if you want to click a like or leave a feedback or a rating or a sub or however it works on the podcast of your choice, uh, that would be awesome too. I appreciate it. Uh, If you'd like more information uh, about Merged Worlds or some of the characters that I've talked about, you can go to my website, OnlyDraven.com. Across the top, there's a bunch of different pages. Click on the one that says Characters, and it'll show you um, minis that I've painted on Hero Forge uh, for many of the characters we've talked about. There's nobody on there we haven't talked about at this point, Um, but I have some made that I haven't put out there yet because... They haven't been introduced. But I add them as I add them there. Uh, you can also see those on the Merge Worlds Instagram account. Link to that is also on that same page on my website. Uh, but yeah, follow me on the socials. Learn more about this and other stuff. If you have questions about Merge World, old episodes, storylines, as long as it doesn't give away the story, I'm happy to answer them. Uh, so feel free to leave them in the comments of this. Uh, and even if you're watching this five years from now, I stay on top of the Merge World stuff as best I can. Uh, shoot me a message on the website. Come join our Discord. Link for that's at the top of the website as well. Lots of cool ways to get in touch. If you have questions or feedback on Merge Worlds, I would love to have it. But other than that, tomorrow uh, we'll be streaming again 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Eastern. Uh, We're doing Stranded Deep this week. It'll be our third episode of that. Hopefully you'll come along and hang out. It's been a fun game so far. Uh, I don't think it'll be a super long game, but it's a fun game to play through. Uh, Fitzmiley. And then tomorrow night at 9.30pm till midnight Eastern, we're going to be doing a community Jackbox night. So, Jackbox is a party game that you can play with multiple people that you get to play along on your phone or tablet or computer. You don't have to own the game. I own it. I host it. So, you just get to show up, type in a code, and you got a chance of playing along. You know, 6 to 8 to 10 people can play. So, we usually wipe the room and let different people in each time as much as possible. Uh, So, come by for that. Play along with us. it would be a lot of fun. But again, thank you all so much for coming by. As always, a special thank you to my members, uh, part of the ODG membership program. Your consistent and uh, (laughs) foolish support of my channel is greatly appreciated. Thank you so very much for that, as well as to all the wonderful people who have been donating and tipping to the channel. Uh, That is what's allowed me to do this full time. So thank you very much for that. If you'd like information about our Emerged Worlds membership program, click the join button on my channel and you'll find out all the information about that. And of course, an extra special thank you Uh, to my moderators who uh, as best as I can tell listen to this stuff and hate my cliffhangers so I try to come up with new ones just to bug them. (laughs) So you all have yourselves a wonderful day and hopefully we will see you again next week for a little bit more Merch Worlds. You guys have a great day.